Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Okay, we're joined today by Adam Weatherby. Like the actual Weatherby. Like when I hear Weatherby, I'm thinking Weatherby. Right, that's... That's who we are. Are there yes. other Weatherbys running around who aren't Weatherbys? You know, there was some out in California where we came from that had a furniture company. So in Cal- here, moved to Wyoming, everybody says, are you Weatherby with the gun company? I say, yes. And out there, they said, are you with the furniture company? Yeah, that kind of speaks, <laughs> that speaks to the state mentality too. It does. And then uh, your, your, your wife, Brenda, am, yes. I, can I be, am I being presumptuous? Are you Brent? What's your last name, Brenda? It's Weatherby. All right. Well, you know, I'll yeah. tell you. Hasn't always been. There but. are there are some uh, women out there who don't honor their man. Uh, speaking of my wife, <laughs> <laughs> no, she is proud to have the Weatherby name. That's she because right. yeah. the furniture company, right? That's right. She thought, cool, we're getting cool sofas and things, <laughs> and now she's a hunter. But yeah, we were high school sweethearts actually, so we've been together for. Uh, like 23 since years. she was 23 years 14 and i was 15 and mm-hmm. no yeah married 23 yeah. together 28 28 you guys started dating at 14 and 15 yeah wow. and i didn't know what a weather bee was when i started dating so him, you weren't yeah, really sure. she didn't grow up in a hunting or shooting oh no family. i had no clue she liked me for other reasons oh, I mean, like do what, we want let's what, discuss what those grade reasons. are you in in 14 and 15 what? freshman in high school in really Mm-hmm. And you guys didn't like have little breakups and never. Then- no. Yeah, parents had to drop us off like our first date it was like a Valentine's Day. Went to a steakhouse. I didn't have enough money. He ran but, out like, of money. Tax and tip and all that stuff was foreign to me, so I like had to call my dad. He came down to pick us up and help pay the bill. Were you at Red Lobster? No, it was a little local thing called AJ Spurs. 
When I was yeah. a kid, you went on a date, you took them to Red Lobster. Uh, we didn't Not Long John Silver's. <laughs> no, <laughs> Perkins. <laughs> so, since 14 and 15. Do you guys yep. got a hot tip? Do you got a hot tip for marriage? Oh, be you, friends. Really? Be really good friends. That is not what Adam was going to say. You be passionate it. friends. How about that? I was say passionate. <laughs> no, we're just, we are, we're just best friends. We've just always, yeah. even in high school, whatever, we just, we've just been best friends. And now we're running a third generation family business together. So we do that together. So it's late at night, like 1030 and she wants to talk about some HR thing or I want to talk about a new product. And it's like, no boundaries. Oh, so, so you, guys do, you guys do some boundaries? We try to have boundaries, like certain times, like, hey, we're not going to talk about business right now. But with this move the last year and everything, there's just a lot going on. And so we'll do that tonight. We're not going to talk about business. And then, like, it's like quiet. We're both like, well, I, I have something. Could we just break the rule really quick? Because <laughs> that's, that's what's on your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys had some fights though, huh? We're not, we're not real fighters, actually. You can, hold on, no. no. This is a Married 23 yeah. years, married yeah. 23 years, dated four or five years or whatever. Uh-huh. No fights. Come on. Like, I don't know, little disputes or do something. Do you love her? Uh-huh, uh, mob- absolutely. No. Do, you love, <laughs> do you love her mother? Uh, yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, there's a little. Absolutely. There's a little. But. Is he wonderful to your mother? <laughs> um, Where are we going with this? Just trying to find some chinks in the armor, man. No, no there's there's dead end well, streets here. <laughs> but we both, right like, I love my mother too, but like the things that bug him about my mother bug me about my mother. So you guys are friends about that too. Yeah, yeah, we like kind of agree yeah. about that, and yeah, it's and okay. Just, I mean, we got kids, we love them, but guess what? They bug us sometimes too, and we bug each other sometimes. It's just life. Yeah. How many kids you guys got? Two, two high school uh, junior boy and sophomore girl. Yep, yep. They get in a lot of trouble. No, no, they're good kids. They're yeah. good kids. So far, you guys should have a like a program so about. We have a white picket fence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We used to. Uh, no, I mean they're still kids. They're teenagers, but yeah. Yeah, my question is if they're getting now real serious with somebody, starting to get real serious on the dating scene. If they're well, like you guys, well, yeah. if they're like you guys, you already, you already met your, you already met your son-in-law. Daughter. Our daughter is in California right now on spring break visiting friends. Gotcha. Yeah. And sometimes he gets bent out of shape about this. And I say, Adam, what were we doing when we were 15 or 16? That's yeah. not what we're going to discuss either. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, oh, yeah. No, that's different. And I'm like, no, it's not. Times have changed, man. No. Times have changed. I will tell you, when I went down and uh, checked out the Weatherby facility, the new Weatherby facility uh, in Sheridan a couple weeks ago, you know, I was grabbing folks, running around and uh, quizzing them. I'm like, yeah, you know that Adam, he's real energetic. He's always bouncing around. And they're like, you should see Brenda. They're like, they're like both of those guys, they just go hard. And, uh, yeah, so I think, I think that probably fall, helps out in the friendship category, too. They move at the same pace. Yeah, that's yeah. essential. This is from uh, non-biased third parties, mind you. Just, like people, we, you, just pe- yeah. people you cornered. Yep. Yeah, I was grabbing guns. Who get a paycheck from us? But yes. <laughs> when we moved to Wyoming last year, we just said, hey, we want to learn to hunt right in our backyard and in some local general units and all that kind of stuff. And we just scouted out, and the two of us just rented mules. Kevin, our marketing guy, came along to film slash handle Brenda's mule when she didn't want to. And so the two of us, we just went in a little TP tent and went in, into the backcountry together. And, like, she's hardcore like that. I mean, we just 
I mean, we were in there 10 miles, whatever. So we even do, we do hard stuff together, fun stuff together. We, you know, lead the business together. So we just, we're teammates. That's exciting. Stuff. And then uh, there's a couple things I want to touch on real quick. But one other interesting thing is you guys flew up in your plane mm-hmm. from Sheridan mm-hmm. to Bozeman. Mm-hmm. Do you guys, um, did you guys sort out who's going to take care of your kids if something bad happened to you? Yeah. 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 Because flying together in a small plane? Or doesn't that even cross mm-hmm. your mind? I think of it as being risky. That's what Life is about risk. Oh, I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I'm um, just saying I would think of it as being risky. So he's a risky guy. And he and just a good is. pilot, of course. No, he's, no, no. He's not a risky pilot. That's different. Mm-hmm. He's a risky guy. And I've learned how to like, like be a riskier person. But I, wouldn't, I don't regret that. Like that's just, I feel like I live more of life because of that. And the flying thing is a little funky, but I just kind of go, you know what? If it's my time to go, then it's my time to go. And You're a fatalist. Uh, God is going to take care of my children and who they're with. And I have family. Well, we don't and you're old enough and, now like, too where yeah. you can yeah. kind of see the path, right? Oh, right. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, bummer. But huh, <laughs> actually. <laughs> who gets the house and who gets yeah. Dad's truck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I like when it comes to those type of things, I'm not, I'm not a daredevil pilot guy at all. Like I don't fly low and fast. I fly high and slow. And my rule is like get up there and get bored as quick as you can. So like I'm also not, like I don't go do that stuff because I do have also not only kids, I get business employees and just a lot, like, not, and I don't want to die yeah. either. But, but reason, also with reasons not to die. Yeah, mm. with yeah. reasons not to die. And so I don't do, like, I'm just not that type of pilot. So if you go up with me, it's going to be pretty boring probably. But and you, don't, you don't try to beat the weather and stuff. No. no. If I get out ahead of it, but I don't beat through it. No, even with weather, like my minimums, all that kind of stuff, try to be, try to be conservative. Or else, is there I, adrenaline, or else I wouldn't let him. Is there adrenaline involved or is it like driving a vehicle for you? No, it depends on the day and either weather. weather or traffic. So like you fly to LA, there's adrenaline because you're just like, cool, there's 747. There's a bunch of guys yelling at me on the radio. Like it's crazy. Uh, or if you are in certain, you know, kind of weather, like I came into land and uh, Luke and I, VP of sales marketing, we were down, we blew a shot show this year. And so we came back and. We're flying like 130-something knots. So it's not like a private jet. It's 1974 Cessna 206, right? So it's, it's still like... Born. 74? Yeah. Ah, 76. You're old. Oh, so anyways, we were on the way back. Yeah, I'm older, man. We you went, should be asking me advice. We went to, <laughs> on flying. <laughs> oh, no, marriage and stuff. <laughs> yeah. 11 years. <laughs> anyways, we came into Atlanta Airport. It was like riding a buck and bull, like just the winds and your palms get sweaty and things. Not that like I'm not going to land it, but like, let's hope somebody's not filming this landing type of thing and your palms get sweaty. And so there's still that. And we all like a little bit of the palm sweaty, like right on the edge stuff in life, right? Don't yeah. we? Always? No, for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. But you pick your flavors. Yeah. So what do you do that gives you that palm sweaty, risky feeling? No desire to fly a small plane. Yeah. I fly in them, but no desire to fly one. Right. Because I have recurring nightmares. About crashing? Crashing one into phone wires. Phone wires. Bad. Uh, you know really? they have cell phones now. Like, well, do they have wires maybe in my <laughs> nightmare will become obsolete, but you still see wires around. Yeah, it's a recurring nightmare of mine, man, to be flying a plane. For reals, huh? Oh, yeah. Wow. And then all of a sudden, all the wires, and there's no way to get through all the wires. Because didn't you see a, wow. a wreck when you were a kid? Yeah. Some. In wire? Hitting wires? Nope. Oh. Burrowed into the woods out by my house and saw them drag two people out in little parts. Jeez. 
when we were little kids. Well, this is great. We're going to be flying back this afternoon. Yeah. Can we switch subjects? <laughs> but that was a good question by Adam. Do you have any like particular activity that you like that, to do he? that you know is going to might at some point give you like that higher endorphin? Yeah, sweaty like, hey, I think they're running around in in small skiffs in Southeast Alaska. That's true. I've been there. I've gotten sweaty palms with you in some high seas. When the seas weather turns, fa- the weather turns fast yeah. and you're in 16 or 18 foot skiff, that and I mean, it turns not, fast. It's not like it's not yeah, like guys, no it's not like like, like big mountain people, you know, like mountaineers who watch their whole social network get whittled away over the years and until then you die too. I mean, it's like running around a skiff in southeast Alaska isn't that, but it's there's little things like that, you know. There's a degree encom- of certainty there though when you're in that skiff and it's yeah, you got water temp and everything you got it's minutes like, yeah you got minutes yeah yeah uh spencer say something again just hey, steve yeah that's spencer newhart um there's two things i want to talk about and then we're gonna get back to the weatherby situation one remember we're talking about do you guys remember talking about a guy saying how he had ingested a shot pellet a steel shot pellet do you remember this? Continue. It's well, not ringing a bell. He was yeah. going in to do an MRI, and he was so thankful. He was like expressing thanks that they did an X-ray and found the shot pellet before going into an MRI. And we were talking about, we were speculating about whether if you had a shot pellet, a steel shot pellet in you, non-ferrous, what do they call it? Uh, that the MRI magnets would drag it through your body mm-hmm. and pull it out. Yep. We were even talking about what if they put the magnet at the top of your head and suck that BB, right? Yeah. Well, a guy that, a doctor that runs, uh, ferromagnetic metal, a doctor that runs one of these wrote in and said, it's just, it's not how it works at all. Like he was saying that if you had a shotgun pellet, if you had a steel pellet in your brain, where he said he likens brain material from doing autopsies. He likens your brain material to being like tofu. And he said there's a possibility that that shot pellet would shift and potentially damage something around it. Or if it was in lung, that it could potentially shift a little bit. Because they're soft areas. Yeah. But he said that, and he was, after hearing us talk about it, he even did an experiment where he took a shot pellet and put it inside the MRI to feel around and he couldn't even detect the movement of that pellet from those magnets. He said, if you had just gotten shot and the wound channel was still open and it was at the surface, you might have enough to pop it back out its own channel, but you're not going to send it up through your skull and, you know. Interesting, because what's the reason that I had one not too long ago and they make they you, they make you it, take, man. Yeah, they make you take off all your metal? There must be some other. It's kind of like when you board a plane and you're not allowed to use cell phones. It's like he goes on to say. He goes on to say it's not not uh, now that sorry I'm doing a horrible. It's a big long email, very expertly written. But he said the the metal can cause significant artifacts on the images acquired, so that alone can be a reason not to do the MRI if you've got some hunks of metal laying around. I've also seen a few cases where a patient forgot that they had been shot with a BB gun years ago only to have images degraded by artifact. That's cool. I I like this guy's effort, but I also kind of dislike it because 
last time I got a concussion. They're like, you should really get an MRI. And I was like, great, how much? Like 2,000 bucks. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. Yeah. This guy can just flip one on and play around with BBs inside of one. You should, man, you should go and see if he can if you can jump in there real quick next time he's playing with his BBs. Yeah. There could have been long-term damage, Cal. Yeah, there could have been. But what are they going to do about it now? Yeah. It's like you just got to run with who you are. Uh, Spencer's here. Just kind of want, we, he, we, we wanted to bring in an expert to handle a listener question. A guy wrote in. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, a guy wrote in. He's like, what would Bambi and Bambi's dad score? Boone and Crockett score. And he only was just curious about it. But I wonder about it because like, of all the trouble that the guy that shot Bambi's dad has caused for hunters. Right, because then they made the movie Bambi mm. and, and, and you know, on and on, right? Yep. Like, was it worth it? It was worth Is it. Is he a nice buck? That's Bambi's a good deer. dad? Yeah, and a unique deer. So you sent this question to Mark Kenny and I, and we batted it back and forth, and we took it way too serious, probably. Um, I liked that you thought he had wicked mass. He does have wicked mass. Is that what I said in the email? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at a picture right now of Bambi's dad. Um, and, like, amazing frame. Like, that's a... 200 inch deer frame but he's a four by four like he's got great brows great g2s uh split g2s so that helps but he's got super weak g3s um so Mark, Bambi's dad should have been like he could have filled out to be a 200 inch buck for sure yeah if he'd had like a g3 g4 g5 that would have been a giant for sure he's still a big deer so mark and i Kicked around some numbers um, with that great mass, that great frame, but the four by four thing is hurting him. We're thinking like low 160s ish. Mark was thinking closer to 150. I was thinking like high 160s. So we'll settle around like 160. So not a bad buck. It's a good deer, and especially for a any, four any, by four. Any hunter should be proud. Buck yes. of a lifetime. <laughs> yes. if I killed him. And, and yeah, for a four by four. Like a, yeah, and a, some people freak about giant four by fours. Yeah. A mainframe four by four that's 160 something inches. That's a giant deer for sure. But Bambi, he wasn't like nearly, he didn't live up nearly to his dad's. Like Bambi didn't live up to his dad's. Did we ever see Bambi with a rack? Yeah, he threw a rack. He had a he little. He threw a uh, three year old rack. He, mm. Did he? <laughs> Does it get, he gets to be about three. So I, I had to type into Google and Mark and I kicked around those numbers as well for Bambi and the images that we saw, he had like a spike. Basically, it was probably like a, I don't know, eight inch spike or something. I don't know the picture in front of me. Um, really poor width or whatever, but just by the product of all the measurements that you get with the Boone and Crockett system, like you get four mass measurements, no matter what, no matter how many points a deer has. Um, we, we figured he'd fall around like 60 inches or so. So <laughs> really? 100 inches shy of that's, his dad. Yeah, that's why he never gets shot. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> People probably passed him up. Yeah, but nobody would pass up Bambi's dad for sure. Like even a hardcore like Illinois, Southern Illinois dude. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep harping on that's a giant four by four. Like a, a deer with that frame, everyone's killing that buck. Good. Bambi's dad. But he had more potential. That, that could have been like 180, well, 200 inch deer. Question. I thought he was like already like the monarch of the woods. So would he, he looks be like going it. downhill the next year or I don't two? know if you know he was going downhill. With Doug Dern's nice buck next year, he could have maybe like Bambi's dad could have. So, so a whitetail will peak around like six or seven years old, start going downhill after that. So I guess, do we know Bambi's dad's age? No. No. If they do a remake of that movie, it'd be sweet to have the hunter pass him up <laughs> a 
couple for a couple years. Yeah, like in central <laughs> Illinois, walking by, too young. Um, and then look at Bambi and be like, "Nah, that's not the one." So to the fellow that wrote in, there's your answer. That's how nice Bambi's dad was. Um, okay, back to this. Back to our main thing. You're gonna stick around with us, right, Spencer? Yes. With that voice, why wouldn't you? Yeah, no, it's yeah. great. I'm, just, I'm gonna now have, have him just say his name. Uh, there's something you were telling me, and I cut you off before we got started. What? Um, and I'm gonna, then I'm gonna pivot. I'm gonna segue this into something else. We were talking about how certain fads come up with uh, cartridges, right? And I want and I want to get into why, like the proprietary cartridges that Weatherby's known for. Is it fair to say Weatherby's known for a lot of proprietary cartridges? That's actually how we were started. I mean, okay. my grandpa started in 1945. Like, oh, well, don't tell me that that's, yet. I got. Okay. I, I want to lay a pre-question on you. Okay. Or so you wait, can do what's it, my you, in, what, what's my question then now, Steve? You were you were starting <laughs> the question yes. I want you to get whenever you want to hit yes. it is you were starting yes. to explain. We we're talking about fads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were talking about one fad that yeah. you, or not a fad, but you're talking yeah. about one thing that you keep thinking will fade, but it's, it sure. remains popular. There's and with, then I brought up yeah. like the short mag, yeah. the, the short mag craze, yes. or at least I felt that it was a craze because sure. I bought into it it's, and why that didn't stick. It's true. There's certain ones that, so like a lot of our cartridges, we have 14 proprietary cartridges, most of which were designed 50 to 60, 70 years ago. And it's amazing how long some you know, stand the test of time or a 30 out six or whatever. I mean, we're talking ages, decades, decades old. Most of the things we're shooting. I think there's some that kind of stick around. So the short mags like had a couple issues that people had with them. The guy developed them like as far as opening it up and allowing everybody to kind of chamber it and hand load and dies and all the different things that come with it. The short mags had some difficulties in kind of, uh, allowing everybody to do that and certain patents on it. So there were some differences there. There also was some feeding issue because it was so kind of short and fat. There were different feeding issues that a lot of folks end up having on short mags. So it, you know, kind of depends on both the functionality of it in that sense, as well as the use of it. So is it, you, you have, you tend to have times where. Explain what a short mag is real quick. It's short mag. So it's going to be fatter, right? It's just taking the same so thing. It's, it's going to be bigger uh, in, in fatter, but rather than kind of long and thinner, it's short and stubbier, right? So you're still using a magnum bolt face, if you would, in order to fit on the case head. Um, but it's shorter, so guys can have kind of lighter weight guns and have a shorter action. So it's kind of a short mag, therefore. Because it's... It- that's the heavy, often the heaviest part of the gun. I'm saying, like, what, is the, what was right. the selling so point? Our, right, so our action, like our Mark V, we have our, our six lug and our nine lug. I mean, it's a pound difference between those two guns. So really a lot of it is weight. So I want something I can go in the backcountry with there, hunt with the 300 Wind Mag, or like, hey, I want something a little bit shorter. I can save myself maybe a pound. Why do I need all that bolt throw, right? I can get a shorter bolt and kind of pack that thing in there. And that was, so, the dry, that was what made those interesting. Right. right. Well, wasn't it also there was something with uh, the rate of powder burn making for more consistency and thus accuracy in, the, in that right. shape I mean, of a you're cartridge? you're going to have accuracy you know, that plays in, I mean, it's, it's going to be the accuracy. It's going to be the design of it. Yeah. The quote efficiency of it. There's so many things that go into a cartridge being successful. Like right before we were describing the six, five Creedmoor that in the past five years is just absolutely blown up as far as its popularity. It's in, inherently accurate. Um, you know, it's not 
super fast, but people are using it in hunting, using it in competition. It's very versatile. And so there are a lot of people. And then it depends on how readily available the ammo is going to be, the affordability of the ammo. So there's so many different factors, I think, that come into it really taking off. And then really what gun companies are going to chamber for it, I think kind of comes into play as well, how popular it is. So, I mean, I think in the last decade, certainly, I mean, the 6.5 Creedmoor, there's nothing even second place to it. I mean, it's just... In popularity. Correct. Yeah. I mean, in, in gun sales, it's just absolutely nuts what it's done across the board. Um, you know, because in a lot of it is because that six and a half millimeter bullet, the ballistic coefficient, I don't know how technical we get. We get technical, right? No, you can right? say yeah. that, man. So the BC, if you would, um, you know, the, the technology for bullets... <clears throat> can you just real quick, just for folks? Uh-huh. Yeah, we got a lot of gnome schools that listen sure. to this show. So bullets are going to fly through the air um, and have a different ballistic coefficient. And typically the higher the ballistic coefficient, which is measurement taken of the bullet to really talk about its aerodynamics. Okay. I like that And one. so certain things, certain bullets are going to be, even if it's the same weight uh, and same caliber size of bullet, it can be a different uh, shape and therefore be more aerodynamic. Right. Yeah. And so, in certain like a square, is not aerodynamic. Is That's not why bullets are bullet. not square. No. It's, yeah. No. Mm-mm. And round. They used to be round. round. Round is better than square. Right. We've done well in wars with round. Yeah. Bullets. Right. I mean, but but we yeah. Used to, we so used to win all those wars. All of them. Yeah. So what's popular now are higher BC bullets, meaning that a lot you have a lot of longer bullets that are seated out farther closer to kind of where the rifling is there in the chamber. So folks are seating it out further in that high BC in the bullet. Yeah, stop again because I want to explain that. Ballistic coefficient. No, I want to explain the part about seated out <laughs> yeah, farther. Okay. So pe- people can picture like an uh-huh. empty case, like a shell case. Yes. And then that shell case crimps onto the bullet. I think some people, like my kids have Correct. the idea. I mm-hmm. feel that they think that the whole damn thing. Is a bullet. Bullet casing that it all comes out. And I was explaining to them, and I took one apart to show them like <laughs> right. what actually happened. So the, the, like the bullets in the casing, you're saying that uh, the bullet protrudes further from the casing and actually touches the rifle. Or it gets close to. It gets close mm-hmm. to. So to, there's to less reduce, of a jump, if you would, the gap. from when, when you pull the trigger, the firing pin goes forward. It hits the back of the case where the primer is. The I primer like, ignites. I like the, I like See this. Him, 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 yeah. it, right? So you pull the trigger. The firing pin goes forward. It hits the primer. The primer ignites the powder that's within the case, and it launches the projectile out forward if everything works well, right? And so all of that that happens, I mean, we're talking it's 60, 65,000 PSI, that's taking place in there in order for this to happen in a you know split second that that's taking place. But a lot of your accuracy happens within that, you know, fraction of a fraction of a second there as that bullet launches forward and there's different, you know, powders that burn at different rates. And so all of those things, and then you get into barrels and rates of twists and lands and grooves and it gets pretty, you know, there's a lot of technical things. Cause if you think about it, these guys are shooting what, you know, thousand yard stuff is just super popular. But in order to do that, like all of those things from the cartridge itself, the chamber, the barrel, the way everything is lined up, even the way that the barrel is trued up next to the action, all of those things, if you're off half an inch at 100 yards, you times that by 10, right? So, I mean, if you shoot a two-inch group at 100 yards, you know, it just multiplies the further you get out there. And so the, what's the popularity is off a lot of this long-range shooting. And so rifles 
ammunition, all of that has to be so precise right now, I think, in order to kind of kind of, I don't know, follow up with this trend that's happening for long range. I just totally got off on a tangent. No, you didn't. This is what we do. So. Uh, <laughs> no, I think you were... T- I think Gun nerds you, like no, it. No, you were, you were tearing it up. I okay. think you were tearing it up. All right, all right, all right. Okay, I, I just want to touch on this little pet subject of mine, though, real okay. quick. Um, are short mags now, like, totally out of fashion? No. They're in, and they've kind of had a little bit of a resurgence, so people... You can still shoot them and be cool if that's what you're I, well, looking I for. I own one, and I don't want people to look down on me when no, I'm with No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I kind of, I'm, I've, 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 I've sort of kept it. I collect it now. Right. The one I have. Right. Uh, okay, so y- you were saying, we were talking about proprietary cartridges. Walk me back to the, to the infancy sure. of Weatherby. Sure. Because you were saying that's how you guys got started? Yeah, it wasn't even guns. It was ammo. So- Grandpa, Roy Weatherby. So this is like your legit grandpa, your father's father. My father's father, okay. Roy Edward Weatherby. Then my dad was Roy Edward Weatherby Jr. I didn't get the Roy, but I do have middle name Edward, so I'm still in there, right? So I'm the oldest of the third generation. So grandpa, born in 1910, rural Kansas, seven older sisters, sharecropper, like doesn't own the shirt on his back type of guy. They kept going. They wanted a boy so bad. Yeah, they got Roy. They got Roy. Yeah. The eighth try. Right? And I, he actually had an older brother that died at a very young age. Oh. So he grew up as the only boy, but okay. actually had... They, In a large so, household. Yes, with pretty Share, much no house. Sharecropping cotton? A little bit of everything. Um, it's out of Salina, Kansas, which I whitetail hunted with my dad. We went two years ago on the same creek where he started trapping and shooting crows for neighbors and oh, got really? his love for the outdoors 100 years ago. We went and hunted the same creek, probably downstream five to 10 miles. That's cool. And uh, shot my first Kansas whitetail. Oh, really? That's pretty cool, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. So anyways, Grandpa grew up out there, wanted a better life, moved west, went to California, brought my grandma Camilla. Okay, our women's rifle line is named after my grandma Camilla. No kidding. And they moved. I think you told me that, but I think I forgot it already. It's a good story. You should remember it. Um, So we- uh, I'm gonna this time, man. (laughs) So they moved out. He didn't hardly own- anything started selling insurance and was still like into the outdoors kind of growing up in kansas uh-huh. on the farm stuff like that and got invited to go hunting started getting to hunting a little bit with people because back then you it just was a pretty simple way of life right and he went i think it was he went out of state to utah went on a hunt injured a deer and that's what drove him to his high velocity theories and philosophies that he had that back then it was just big bullets were the thing and he was like no i think velocity is actually the thing and that that's going to produce energy and what back then they called that hydrostatic shock and all those things is that velocity i mean it's just physics right why why so, back then isn't that something people still say that now they do but but back then so we raised 74 years from now and all the cartridge development or just modern science and all those different things that were there, I mean, we, there was no real magnums like around. So there was not, I mean, these magnums pushing bullets fast. It was heavier bullets moving slower and that it's like got to have the big bullets. So his thing- You could even catch a glimpse of some of those things. Wait, what's that? Uh, how you could catch a glimpse of them. We were shooting one of those old Sharps buffalo rifles. Oh, you mean actually see the bullet? Yeah. Yeah. In a bright sunny day, we were shooting yep. those and you'd catch like, you'd see it. Right. Heading out, arcing out. Yeah. yeah, arcing. So he started taking existing cartridges 
and okay, that were already there and it was called fire forming. So if you get a chamber in a rifle, okay, in a barrel, and it's say slightly larger or different shape, you can, I'm not right, do not try this at home, disclaimer, but you can, if you know what you're doing, then you can fire form a case and it blows that case out. And then you make that case into a different cartridge. It's called fire forming. Really? So my grandpa was known as a, it's called a wildcatter. And a wildcatter is one who plays with things dangerously like my grandpa did in his garage. So he took like the 300 H and H, a cartridge that was around back then and said, let's blow this thing out and make it bigger. One of the things that he did was he took the, the wall, the shoulder of the cartridge, as you move up towards the bullet, there's the shoulder, and he rounded it. It's called the Vin, Weatherby Venturi shoulder. So our 14 proprietary cartridges, if you look at them, have those rounded shoulders pretty much. There's no edge the there. Part. There's no Correct. sharp edge. There's no sharp angle. And part of that was the way that the powder kind of runs in there and flows out, and it also really kind of blows it out and makes it a little bit larger, and you use a little bit more capacity and fit more powder in there. Helps so, with cartridge feeding, too. Exactly. It's it's smoother ramp on the way in. Mm -hmm. So he started writing letters to editors and magazines and just things like this. He's just so passionate about his philosophy of bullets moving faster and we can shoot things further and the energy's gonna get out the further and it's gotta go fast, fast, fast. He wrote a letter to the editor of Sports Afield in the early forties. And they put in their magazine, just like the guys who were emailing about Bambi, right? And then here we are talking about them. So they did that. So Roy Weatherby's thing started. And from there, 1945, he officially started where he was rechambering people's rifles for his cartridges. And it all went from there. So from 1945 to 1958, for the first 13 years, it was really about custom rifle builds on like German, these Mauser actions and these yep. other things that he was using those. And he just had his cartridges. And that's what put us on the map first was what we call, whether it be ballistic superiority. In other words, our stuff moves fast. I'm a little bit confused. Okay. Fire forming, mm -hmm. like okay. So, Gramp, Grandpa Roy mm -hmm. has he he makes a chain. I understand what's he okay. starting with and what's he winding up with. Sure, as far as gun wise or yeah, ammo so, wise. So he has he has an existing he has an what, sure. what was a, what, tell me a cartridge back then that he could have started with to, to right. make a wildcat. So wild if there's cat. one that's really similar to another one, that's the thing. If you look up look at a book of cartridges, look how many there are, right or SAMI is the governing agency, S-A-A-M-I. I'm getting real technical here, right? But that's the governing agency over like all these things about cartridges and names and, you know, all the things and the pressures and everything. That's our governing agency. We got to play by their rules in order for everything to be safe. Okay. You look in the book and like, oh, there are so many cartridges that are out there. And what's happened is a lot of them are made and then there's a parent case and then there's stuff real similar. And that's the funny thing about these kind of these wildcatters and these hand loaders and these kind of ballistic guys is like they geek out and like maybe to somebody that's not into it it's like the smallest change but it's like oh my gosh it's revolutionary they freak out about it right so he took a, you can take a case and if you make have a barrel made okay and so you can have a barrel made uh with reamers right and actually it's just a machine shop right so my grandpa could say i want the the chamber in the barrel to look like this, I'm going to call it the 300 Weatherby Magnum. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make a chamber. Well, wait a minute, Roy, there's no ammo for that. Well, I'm going to take this 300 H&H case. That's what I was trying case. to figure out. I know. Yeah, yeah I'm going to take this 300 H&H &H case, which is really similar. It's got a straight-angled walls, shoulders, right, where it comes up towards the bullet, straight angle there. It's not rounded. 
But then what I can do, and it's a, maybe mine's a little bit longer, but I think all the dimensions line up, then I'm going to put this ammo in there. And when you pull the trigger, it's going to go poof, and that powder is going to stretch that brass. Brass has you know, a stretchiness to it, if you would, right? I think that's the technical yeah, Is term. it true that it almost hits like a liquefied state every time you, you pull the trigger and then solidifies it again? It softens. Right. I don't know. I don't know the but, I mean, answer to, to that. But to the point that it literally mm-hmm. it accepts it's, it's the form of wherever it's in. Right. So that's what it does is it goes, here's my chamber. You got 60,000 PSI. That's a lot, right? I mean, I don't know. I I gather. Think think about your your tire on your truck. What is it, 50? Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Or think about, I don't know, even like a scuba tank's what, like 3,000? 60,000, right? So more than scuba tank, more than a tire by long shot. Geologic pressure. So it's like, so that brass will stretch. Then when you eject it, often if. Do not try this at home. No, I'm with okay. you. I'm with you. But when Roy would eject it, he'd pull that bolt up. It's like, whoa, okay, bolt's a little sticky. I pull it up. I'd eject it out. I just made my own a new brass. shape. I just made my own brass out of somebody else's by having somebody make a barrel. So what was Does his- that make sense? What was his yeah. initial customer base? Like a lot of deer hunters or sports shooters or what? Yeah. You know, we've always predominantly been really hunting focused. It's- uh, you know, we say like our vision statement is we exist to inspire the dreams of hunters and shooters, our fluffy phrase we say, right? Because we believe our products are out there and it's more than just the products we make. It's memories. It's taking your kids out. It's being with granddad. It's us, you know, cow, we were out last week shooting pheasant. It's memories. It's more, it's more than just a tool. And so for hunting, I think that happens. Brenda and I, we've shared hunts with my, my, my kids, my dad. We make a product that just happens to like be a part of that and get passed down through generations, you but like, know? But like Grandpa Weatherby's uh-huh. first 13 years, his customer base, mm. what kind of people were reaching out to him? I don't know, dude. I wasn't around. Gun uh, nuts. Gun nuts. A lot of gun nuts. And then a lot of guys that, what, then what he started doing is right when like commercial airlines just took off and like it was a TWA or what are those ones? Brenda did her senior project on my grandpa. She was a history major. Did you really? Uh-huh. Did you meet? Did you meet him, or was he already dead when you guys I met? I didn't. He passed away in '88. But I did get to hang out with Camilla a bit. She mm-hmm. actually, separate story. Yeah, she. Um, we had a my, close relationship. Yeah, my grandma had Alzheimer's, and it was tough. So she lived with us the last few years, and Brenda and her mm-hmm. twin sister took care of was that Camilla. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a special lady. Was that pretty rough? Yeah. Well, I didn't really know her before Alzheimer's. I actually oh. met her when I was 15. I went to her house and she dragged me around showing me things. But for some reason, she always just took a liking to me, even though she didn't really know who I was. And then, you know, I later on in life got to take care of her. So She just rediscovered that she liked you every time she met you. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she just would <laughs> snuggle up to me and people go like, she, what is she, she doesn't do that to anyone. So she That's was special. She was very special. So what my grandpa did is oh. he then started going to Africa. And on Plains Game, of which then was, it still is in many parts, there's a lot of it there, <laughs> a lot of game. And so he wanted to see what, what this actually did and the higher velocity and the differences and bullets and all those different things is, is how his whole thing was, I want to provide a quicker, more humane kill on these animals. And that was what drove him was more one-shot kills. And, and at greater distances, especially back then, it was just so close up with those heavy moving bullets. Yeah. So he did several trips to Africa. We have old reel-to-reel, like, and um, with the dictaphone things and all these, like, recordings, tons of Talk memorabilia. Talk about podcast. I mean, he, he did it. I mean, 
It was pretty crazy. In the fifties, basically, however you do that. Yeah. And then he would come home and share them with anyone and everyone. Like a recorded experience. He would actually go and yeah, visit these groups and show them old reels and people would go, Oh my gosh, I've never seen Africa before. So it was like, they were living through sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like we have them on DVD, you know, it's like strange. a number of years it's ago. Really it's like, great. you know, a little, you hear the thing going and yeah. there's Roy and he kills something and goes up to it. And, you know, just, it's pretty cool. So that really kind of validified coming back to the question. There was the shooting, but he was a passionate hunter. And really the drive for the velocity was out based off of hunting and based off of ethical hunting. And that's what drove him. And I think that's why we got such a, a, a following from the hunting community. So was he, what's it called when you, uh, you pat, you can patent around, I gather. Yeah. Ours aren't, I mean, it's a, what happens is if you come up with that particular shape of that cartridge of which then the barrel chamber is going to be, then you name it something. What's funny is the naming of cartridges historically confuses more new hunters than anything else. Mm -hmm. It's like in trying to explain it, there's certain people, like I tried to explain it to like nine times. And I, I consider myself a decent communicator and like I fail at it because of the way they change it too many it's times. been. And when what happens is they're like, okay, it's a 30 cal bullet. And you're like, well, is it a 308, a 30 odd six, a 300 wind mag, a 300 weatherby? Like you start to go down the list, a 30, 30, and you try to go, no, that's all the same bullet. But then you show them the cartridges and they all look different and they just like their brain blows up. People that are new to the shooting or hunting community, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so what happens is really is when you come up with a cartridge, so we have a 300 Weatherby Magnum, right? You name that cartridge, and then when you name it, you stamp it on there. It says 300 WBY Mag. That's saying that cartridge, which happens to be this size and this shape and holds this much powder and will fit in this gun, needs to, on the side of the rifle and on the side of that barrel, it needs to say 300 Weatherby Mag, and it's shooting a 30 cal bullet. So you could go develop a Ranella something-something and just go develop something, and then Sammy, that organization I was talking about, kind of validifies if you get it, Sammy survey, they're like, this is it. But there's a lot of these still kind of wildcatting things and guys make barrels for them and all those things. You just need to make sure that whatever it says on that case head is whatever it says on that barrel. And those two things have to match because it's the shape. You need the shape of that cartridge to go inside of there. But then you get into bullets and you're like, that's when I try to explain, you know, to people that are new, okay, well, then you have different size bullets, which is really just the diameter of the bullet, not the case, going back to what your kids believe, right? Yep. So take that bullet diameter. So a 30 caliber bullet is a diameter of 0. 0.308 inches, but you can stuff that in a hundred different pieces of brass cases, right? Yep. And that's what people sometimes get hung up on, but it's, so that's why you can have a 300 Weatherby, a 308 Winchester, a 3378 Weatherby, a 30-odd six. It's all the identical bullet that you're putting in different size cases. And just people that grew up with it, that's easy to other people. They're like, that's really confusing. But when you look at <laughs> like a 30-odd six, mm-hmm. okay, so it's a 30-caliber bullet and, and made in 1906. Right. There, there, there's like a mm-hmm. weird version of it. I don't think sure. any, is there any other cartridge that uses a name like that with the year they made it? I don't know of one, another one that has the year. I'm trying to think offhand. Uh-uh. 30 30 the is is the grains of powder after the 30 cal over 30, so 30 grains the thing, of powder there's no consistency to the naming of cases so my grandpa took but any but any tom dick and harry or tom uh-huh. dick or harry yes. could go and make and yeah. sell 30 six bullets 
No? No, bullets, you mean or, cartridges? Sorry, cartridges? Yeah, right. But they can't make, they can't make and sell mm-hmm. a 300 Weatherby. Yeah, they can. Yeah. Well, they can. I mean, uh, Federal has a 300 Weatherby oh. that they sell. So mm-hmm. when they say, a, I, I always, you hear the term of pr- proprietary, uh-huh. is it just because it carries the name? Correct, because we designed it. So we designed those 14 cartridges. you can't, you, you can't cartridges. prevent other manufacturers from producing that ammo. No, and in fact, that's okay though, because it just puts our name around. They might buy our ammo and put it in there. So if other people make them, we're like, that's cool. Got you. you I know? wasn't aware of that. I thought there's some things Mm-mm. that you could protect and then own, that you had to give the permission to make it. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's where actually those short mags had some things on that. So there are a few, but for the most part, it's pretty wide open. I mean, right? it's just a, yeah, a chamber dimension. You put that cartridge in there and it's kind of the way it works. Quick side note, mm-hmm. uh, when you know chemical compounds, you don't patent the compound, you patent the use. Meaning I could have like, let's say I had some chemical compound that I realized controlled some plant species, like a weed. And you take the same chemical mm-hmm. comp and, I, and I'm like, and I'm a herbicide company and I patent that. But you take that compound and you realize that it, I don't know, polishes glass. You would then go and patent it for polishing glass. Even if it's the same chemical yeah. compound. That's, That's crazy. How you, you, you get huh. the use. Huh. People find new uses for stuff all the time and they grab up and patent the use of that compound because you can't patent the compound. I did not know that. Hmm. Did anybody else here know that? No. I might be doing a little bit of a bad job explaining it, but yeah. it's not, I'm not doing a horrible job of explaining <laughs> it. <laughs> Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance. And man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com. Or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched Hunt Research Tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? 
Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with pre-loaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the, so the that's how he gets started, and he comes up with a bunch of these. Rattle a few off that folks would know. The 300 Weatherby. Right. 257 Weatherby is my grandpa's favorite. It's normally been the number two selling that's your so, number two seller yeah we came out the six five three hundred so we necked down the 300 weatherby to take a six five bullet a smaller bullet move it faster just back to kind of grandpa's roots there's a couple guys that work here that yeah. that's in their mind yes that is the the cat's meow the one that is the true one rifle it's solution. it's fast and it pushes energy out there really far and that's what we're kind of known for is that a wild was that considered a was that at it was a, actually, once upon a time considered a wildcat round? it actually was uh-huh mm-hmm. there is actually uh uh my grandpa actually made he called it a 264 weatherby magnum because 264 is the inches for the 6.5, right? Okay, I didn't which, know that. I was going to ask why, yeah. how come you guys went 6.5 instead of 260 or 264? Right, because especially with the 6.5 Creedmoor right now, and a lot of people are just understanding that. I think the newer terminology, a lot of people are calling them 6.5s. Uh, there's an old 264 Win Mag. Nosler called there's the 26 Nosler. Yep. They're all 6.5 bullets, 6.5 oh, there's bullets. A, there's a gazillion 6.5s. There's a lot Probably of as them. many as there are 30 counts. Yeah, there's still more 30s, but there's a lot of 6.5s that are out there. So we... we 6.5 is 264. Correct. Point, point 0.264 is 6.5. That's correct. Uh-huh. And like a 7 millimeter is a 284. Yeah. So... The, and that's the thing is, why are you going to call it inches or millimeters? Whatever I want to call What's it. What's the metric equivalent to a 308? <laughs> Or is there, no exact, is there no exact cartridge that carries a metric name? Well, no, yeah. I mean, the military guys, you know, a lot of times, you know, use more the metric. Um, a lot of times is the way, you know, traditionally it's been. Um, but with, I mean, usually the seven millimeter was always, most of them are called seven millimeter. Then once in a while there's like 280 Remington or whatever, different things that are more off the inches. But it's just funny. It's like, why? Yeah, I don't know. Is that word, is it Ackley or Ackley? Ackley. 280 Ackley. 280 Ackley it's improved. 7 millimeter. So what he yeah. would do is he would take he's one a, he's, and He's a fellow kind of like it's, your grandpa. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wildcatter. Yep. 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 And there's so. wildcatters in the oil industry too. Is there? Yeah, the guys that go out, right? Yes. Wildcatter, speculators, yeah. right. trying to strike little... 
prove out a little chunk of ground? Seven six two is the answer to your question. Seven six two. Okay. So seven, like when you hear that, yeah, you know what you do. Yeah, I remember right. like guys. Mm-hmm. I remember buddies growing up. So had if you want to buy really cheap three hundred eight ammo, you go in a store and it says seven six two. That's just old Soviet stuff. Mil- military version of the three hundred eight. Okay, so. Yeah. Uh, you guys have a 240 Weatherby as well, right? Correct. And that thing's a scream. It's and like a 243 Winchester, but faster. And the 243 is also a six millimeter. So there's a new six millimeter Creedmoor. Uh, but the 240 Weatherby is the fastest 243 production round. So it shoots a 243 bullet faster than anybody else does in a production round. The 257 Weatherby shoots what they call a 25 caliber bullet faster. Our 65300 is the fastest. Um, or 3378 Weatherby is actually the fastest 30 cal. So it's a huge case, neck down to a 30 caliber bullet. It's faster than the 300 Weatherby. That came out in the late 90s and went like berserk for a long time. It was kind of like the 65300 is now. It was to us in the 90s. So it's just taking these cases and playing with them and trying to just get stuff moving faster. And a lot of it's a lot of load development because speed can come at the price of accuracy. Mm-hmm. And so it's really making both of those things work together is a lot of the name of the game of what we do tell people what is slow and what is fast like let's say you take a 6.5 creedmoor which is an efficient accurate cartridge really popular or the 6.5 300 weatherby let's say with the 140 grain bullet where we measure bullets which is uh, a goofy unit of measurement correct like i said everything in that if you didn't grow up in it it's like what is this like a grain what are you talking about i can't remember do you remember the definition of a grain and so i knew it at once upon a time put it on the scale look at it's i, I will i mean it, it really originally did start from grains i know but it's like look up the definition of it so a six five creed moral shoot like 140 grain bullet this is off the top of my head so if people google it they can probably correct me 2600 maybe 2700 feet a second okay where with that same one, we're probably 3,300 feet a second. Same bullet. So difference between, you know, about 600 feet per second faster. Now, at 100 yards, yeah, that matters. At 500 yards, that's everything. So what it does is it, because your foot pounds of energy that's measured of when that bullet impacts, obviously if it starts faster, and if you have a high BC bullet, going back to what we are talking about in this aerodynamic, and it carries that velocity further, it's carrying that energy out there further and then therefore providing for a quicker, more humane ethical kill. Yeah, and there's a thing that we've talked about it. I can't remember why we were talking about it not long ago, but you know, a bullet needs to do something when it hits, mm-hmm. meaning it needs to expand Correct. And, and form a mushroom shape or else mm-hmm. it's not, it's, it's lethality. Is that a word? Lethality drops off greatly. Right. So carrying that speed lets that thing do what it needs to do Correct. out to greater ranges. Right. Instead of getting so slow right. that it just pencils in there or starts or to... Or too fast. Too fast. Too fast. And blows up or what? It can go too fast and, or it can just pencil hole through it too. So, and there's different constructions of bullets as well. We're not a bullet manufacturer. Yep. So we have our rounds and we use other, you know, good bullets like say a Hornady bullet or a Nosler bullet or whatever we're not bullet manufacturers, but the construction of bullets, I mean, there's all copper lead-free bullets. Uh, there's, you know, obviously there's lead in most of them, but then the way that it's actually constructed depends upon how its weight retention. In other words, like if you find it sometimes in the back hide of an animal or whatever, when you recover it, how much weight is retained rather than it fragmenting and kind of blowing up. Um, or sometimes it can just pencil hole through. So, so really there's a lot that goes into the physics behind bullet making and why it's so important, um, especially 
important to try to ethically, you know, kill an animal and, you know, um, and not destroy meat. So I've had animals before. If you have the wrong combination of all that, that can ruin a lot of meat as oh, well. Oh, yeah, man. So, I mean, you probably like have, lose two shoulders off stuff and, yeah. Right? It goes in there and if it hits bone, and that's part of the problem is certain bullets, if it hits bone, that's when it's going to fragment. And then if you found bullet, and then you find not only bone, but you find, you know, fragments of bullet too. Yeah, so, it but look like a hand grenade went off. Right. Yeah. But it's perfect if you find a perfect mushroom bullet on the back, you know, that back cape, and you just take it out, and it's a hard shot. Like, there's nothing like that. You just pull it out, and you're like, that's what this was made to do. So how did, uh, so what's the next transition? So he, he starts making these wildcat rounds and main, main, makes them main, takes them from wildcat to mainstream. And so then, then he said, I'm going to make, I got to make my own gun. Like I want to make the world's strongest, most reliable action that there is. And in 1958, we launched the Mark V. It's still our flagship product today. And that was, he took what standard had uh, like in the bolt and he just redefined it like from the ground up. He took what everything else at the time had a bolt lift of 90 degrees, meaning you, you would lift that bolt up 90 degrees before the locking lugs up in the chamber came off so you could pull the bolt back. Yep. And our Mark V has nine locking lugs, three groups of three up front that lock actually that bolt into place. And that was just like nobody had ever done anything like that. And therefore the bolt lift is 54 degrees. His largest cartridge oh, that's at the time was a 460 Weatherby Mag. Okay, which obviously used in Africa on anything, right? And uh, it was made made to like, dude, I'm going to take. So that's up to a 500 grain bullet. So we're going to put big barrels in these. All this, I just want an overbuilt, super strong, reliable. This short bolt throw, which could make rechambering rounds quicker, type of thing. And that was developed in 1958. And that was really his next step. And then, being in California, he leveraged the. So Hollywood hold on, culture the first, the that. first gun then that, yeah. he, or that he chambered in was in the 460? No, he had probably six, eight cartridges All probably by the time once. the Mark V came out. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So then he leveraged being in California, which most recent times is more of a challenge for us, but in the 40s and 50s and 60s, like got to know John Wayne and Roy Rogers and Gary Cooper and all these guys would come in his shop and what's, oh, yeah. what's now the ghetto. And started to use them to really leverage things, his trip to Africa. And then he made these real high-end wood exquisite stocks like that a lot of people still see today as Weatherby as being is just real high-end walnut and maple and rosewood and these inlays and started to hire custom really craftsmen for both the wood and the metalwork. And then just started making like really nice, beautiful rifles. And so then... Like really within his first 15 years by probably the early 50s, he'd had his cartridges developed, he developed his own rifle, had his own unique look, the shape of the stock, the Monte Carlo, which is that cheek piece that comes up on the stock was unique. He had these maple inlaid uh, diamond shaped things on the pistol grip. It was in everyone. If you walked into a store in the early days, if it didn't have that diamond, it wasn't a Weatherby. Yeah, you know, I used to have, when I was a kid, I had a pump up, BB gun, right. uh, Daisy, uh, like 10 pump, and it had that diamond. Really? Yeah, in the forearm. Daisy. Yeah, they huh. put a plastic yeah. with the black border yep. and the white yep. pearl. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, it had that yeah. in there. It was a nice Daisy then. 
It was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we got into kind that of all the, that, stuff. that was the Mark V, which you get, which is still around. Right. It just looks a little different. Do you know the backstory on the, how the cheek piece? Why he chose that? Well, a lot of it, I mean, from a performance standpoint, was just to better align yourself, you know, mm-hmm. optically, and to to get you know your 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 neck and cheek placement on it better. And then a lot of it is he's just a marketing genius too, and just wanted things to be different. And so nobody was doing that at the time. And so a lot of things that he did, he just really he wanted he wanted what he had done to stand out, you know. Um, in the early days, in the fifties, I think it was fifty four, he created the Weatherby. Big Game Trophy Award, which is still there today, which now today takes... The Weatherby Award, right? The Weatherby Award yeah. takes conservation and your character and different things along with your hunting accomplishments. Um, and so uh, so anyways, he felt that in 1954 and he'd have celebrities come in. So he just built the... I mean, it's the classic post-World War II entrepreneur driving his dream and he poured every ounce of his body, mind and soul and everything into building the business. And that's why we're here today with you. So it's, we call it a blessing. It's a legacy. You call it what it is. And it's like, it's, it's cool to be a part of. So when did he, how late was, how long was he active? And then how did your dad become active? My dad had obviously grown up in the business. Dad was born in 51. So he, you know, grew up in it. I think he became president or whatever in 83. My grandpa passed away in 88. Um, like he saw the first fiberglass stock was my dad's idea, which we were the, I think one of the first, if not the first company to have a non-wood stock. Oh, really? Okay. In the early 80s, it was my dad's idea and my grandpa hated it because that's not what a rifle looks. That's the ugliest rifle I've ever seen, Ed. Like my dad, because he was Roy Edward Weatherby Jr., went by Ed and grandpa's like, that's horrible. It's never going to sell. Because he liked the really aesthetic. Yeah, he's classic beautiful, The beautiful stuff. Wood. Yeah, I'm going to have plastic. So anyways, it sold really well and then my grandpa liked it. and now 85 percent of what we sell probably at least and we sell more wood percentage wise than probably a lot of folks because we're known for that but it's still you know composite materials when was what what year do you think approximately it was when it went from when when was it 50 50 when plastic caught up to? i don't know but 90s it really took off really yeah yeah i remember like i remember in my lifetime i remember people talking about how you know, you know like, oh they're ugly as hell but these synthetic stocks are pretty nice that was like still a thing you would hear yeah. people say and now they look kind of cool <laughs> yeah yeah no it's, it's it's been funny to watch that transition so um has the company always been ba- i mean i know now we'll talk mm-hmm. about how you just moved it to wyoming and why that is but uh it was just always out of the same place in california my dad in the early 90s so after it'd been around for almost 50 years, shortly after my grandpa passed away, we moved from Southern California up to the Central Coast. He knew he needed to get out of the LA area. It just wasn't a good place to have a gun business. Yeah. Um, and so moved it up to the Central Coast to California, which it was up till we just moved it to Wyoming. Yeah. And what, uh, what happened? Like, like I mean, I, I, I guess you could sit and think like, oh, California doesn't seem like a logical place for a, for a gun company, but why or what? Right. Lots of things. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny because we ended up going, if you look, you kind of end up going to the opposite sometimes when you're feeling a little bit of pain. So we went from the the state as far as uh, its regulations on guns, it's like the most regulated, yeah. to Wyoming, which pretty much is not that. 
we went from the most populous state at what 37 million to like a little over half <laughs> so to most populous to least so we started to go uh worst taxes to make three years in a row wyoming like best taxes no income tax blah blah so it's it's a business thing uh it's a people thing uh cost of living thing for our employees uh, operating expenses, turning on the lights, you know, everything that we that we did along to just the regulations that were just getting extremely onerous on firearms. And so the writing was on the wall that it was not a good place to be. And it wasn't a place for us to grow. Brenda and I are the type of leaders with the business that we don't want to put this thing on cruise control and just kind of do what's been done. And in our industry, we really can't afford to do that. We You have to be innovative. You got to come out with new stuff. You got to be building and growing. And we knew that the we'd had an excellent past in California and a lot of great tenured employees, uh, and, and we missed a lot of them dearly that weren't able to move, but we knew for the future at Weatherby there was no option. It was just a matter of time. Did a lot of people want to move with you? Yeah, Brenda heads up all our people um, yeah. at Weatherby, and she can, she can speak to the people, but there's... Yeah. I think there was a lot who wanted to move, but you know, when you, uh, you know, have a family or split custody or you know, those kind of things... Um, I think probably 50 wanted to move, but we only got about 22 out of the 75. Yeah, yeah. So a third, it could have been worse than that, but it's still been a big pain point, you know, to rehire and retrain two-thirds of your workforce. We, uh, we got a lot of amazing people, though. Yeah. All your really gunsmiths. Cool. I met all those. Hundred percent of our folks. gunsmiths moved because they're like, where right? else am I going to work in California? Yeah, if I don't work at Weather. Oh, they had to move in the what? state. The whole team. <laughs> that's interesting. Whole team. We yeah. had we had a gentleman who came to my grandpa when he was eighteen years old, yeah. first job right out of high school, and he just finished with us fifty-seven years later, uh, at the end of February. Yeah, fifty-seven and a half years. Yep. Fifty-seven wow. years. Yep. As a gunsmith. No. He worked in a variety of things, um, from custom shop to customer service to tech support to I think he's supply chain conservation back in the day. sales. I mean, he just yeah, he did everything. Made the rounds. Yeah, yeah. fifty. I was recently saying how Wyoming's the best state in lower forty-eight. Well, including Hawaii, so best state in the forty-nine states, excluding Alaska. And you were like, "Oh, that's personal opinion." I think it's an ob- it's an objective reality. We we had think of it this way. Giannis we wanted to be no answer. We wanted to be out of California, and we wanted to be in the West still because in our roots that's who we are. And we looked at at least half a dozen states, and we ended up in Wyoming. I mean, we could have gone. It'll be the last state to get screwed up. I think we're at the caboose, except for Alaska. Yeah. The caboose. Alaska. Yeah. Wyoming will get screwed yeah. up somehow, and Alaska will still be cool. Everyone will yeah. fall off the cliff sooner or later, but we are at the caboose. Yeah. 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 So you got. Billions of years before you fall off. <laughs> right. Well, you, we'll see. Before you guys fall off into the ocean. <laughs> right. We know California we move, was falling off first. We move about three quarters of an inch to the northwest every year. So we got a while. I'd have to go do the math, but yeah. I mean, you got a good stretch of time. There's other things I do that are more risky. <laughs> <laughs> A little off subject, but what does a gunsmith that actually works yeah. in your factory, mm-hmm. what, what do their days look like? Like, what are they mostly? Because they're not yeah. building every no. gun that you guys are it's producing. It's everything from custom shop to service work, you know? So it could be a full-blown custom. Like, recently, we had this commemorative and uh, rifle for Wyoming, and it's a fancy wood gun, and you got to checker bolt knobs, okay? And it's fine line, like, old-school gunsmith checkering that we're, we're still doing. So it might be something like that. Um, we also service 74 years of guns. 
So it might be repairs, um, you know, replacing out parts, those sorts of things. So people send in old stuff and you guys work on it yourselves. Oh yeah. We have service centers as well. Um, but we do, we do a lot, which has been tough during the transition. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, <clears throat> you're give us another month or two before you call us. <laughs> if you're wondering <laughs> where your stuff log. is. But yeah, I mean, we stand behind our stuff. It's like, that's the thing. You've been around a long time. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter how old your gun is. If it says Weatherby on it, we're going to answer the phone and we're going to help you. So it's not like if you just ran it over with your truck, we're going to give you new stock for free. But if it's something that, you know, broken your gun, I mean, we stand behind it. Uh, Jim got a shotgun stolen 30 years ago. Um, police department just turned it up about two years ago. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. It was his only Weatherby shotgun. <laughs> and um, he, it was not in good shape. And uh, he sent it back in. He has totally redid the shotgun. Really? Yep. And he was like, best goddamn customer service on the planet. That's interesting. Yep. He's huh. a big shotgun guy. Huh. Huh. That's cool. are, you, are you not happy about that? No. Uh, <laughs> there's, I'm happy we have happy customers. <laughs> From a revenue standpoint, I don't know if it's smart. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you guys hunt much in California? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, surprisingly some decent hunting. There's not I got a lot of good public land there. Um, there's a lot of people there. But in the area we were in, um, there's a lot of pig hunting. Uh, you know, turkey, dove, quail, blacktail, or coastal mule deer, so they called it. Um, so one of actually an interesting hunt out there, Brenda's first buck. Tell them about your first buck you shot out there, I think, for this. Yeah, kind of fun. Um, so... They have this vineyard, and obviously in Central Coast, there's tons of vineyards. And so most of the vineyards um, fence these deer out, but this vineyard is kind of a likes hunting. So they let the deer come in, which does um, provide um, great hunting access for people, but also um, it kind of destroys some of their crops. Do the deer... Um, uh Want to eat the grapes? Yes. Yeah. So these well, deer... They eat the leaves more... The, the, the leaves, the yes. Vines. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily the grapes, yeah. but the vines. The tender shoot of them, so they will lose a lot of grape yield from it. Um, but these deer are so happy. They're sitting in the shade. It's like deer resort. Drinking like drip. They're not fenced in. They're no. fenced out from all the other vineyards. Yeah. And typically blacktail in and California is not the best venison, but this no. venison is the best venison it, It's the best venison it's in our so life, good. bar none. So when she shot her, her first buck... Yeah, it was, was a vineyard so buck, right? And resort you're literally, you're, that's uh, they're known as there, huh? Vineyard you're, bucks. You're hunting resort down the rows. You're, you're turning your head, looking down the rows. Yeah, uh, I shot one one year as well, because it is, it is so good. So they actually take after you shoot it, they go and if it's in the Merlot area, they take a bottle of their Merlot <laughs> and they cook up the heart, and you have the heart and the Merlot and, awesome. and the venison. I don't know if you yeah. guys did the tenderloins or whatever you did. Right then and there, no, we just do heart, just the heart. It is. And, and I'm not kidding you. I had people over. And they serve it with had, the wine that came from the Hillary shop uh -huh, here. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yep. cool. It's and cool. I, I mean, yeah. I've had people taste test that typically are coastal California blacktail or coastal mule deer, depending on where they are as far as bordering it, what species they are, is usually very tough and pretty good. I mean, it's just not phenomenal um, unless you really got to do a lot of stuff to it. It's just not the best. And it is this particular one, I mean, you'll put it next to elk backstrap or tenderloin, or I've had it next to, Anything. I mean, whitetail from farmlands and everything, and people will, taste test-wise, they'll pick this. It's yeah. amazing. 
That's really good. It's absolutely amazing. And part of it's like- Very rare though. There's a conservation find. piece behind it too of like, what about these deer that are getting, you know, there's all these population coming in in California and then you take these vineyards. So even when we were kids, uh, just even 30 years ago, there's like 300 wineries within like a 30 mile radius of our old place in California, right? So they're everywhere. So what does the wildlife, you know, tend to do and where do they live and all when those all different of things? It, when all of the land is- when they're fencing all the wildlife out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it used to be ranching so land. Go? So yeah. it used to be just they, cattle ranch. Cattle Transition into wine. Yeah. Yep. But hey, it's good. Why uh why did you so you've been exposed to shooting and firearms for twenty some years. Why did you only so recently start hunting deer? You this is interesting because when I met Adam and definitely after we got married, they're just like the women weren't in the family weren't hunting a lot. So I didn't come from a family of hunters. So I kind of just followed suit. I was like, well, I guess this is what you do. And the guys go out hunting and the girls don't, you know? So, um, and really I didn't, I always went dove hunting in the fall and that was just always a fun time. Um, But I didn't until my daughter actually wanted to get her hunter safety. And so I was kind of worried she wasn't going to pass her test, <laughs> literally. And I'm like, why don't we do it together? You know, because I thought it would be better to do that together and be able to go through the class and all that. And so as soon and then you as- could, You could like help her cheat. Well, no, I didn't. No, she's a really good test taker. I just had to like walk her through the yeah, dynamics of it, you know. At, at um, what age was she doing it? She was 11 or 12, 11, 10, 11, something like that. Yeah, yeah, I got Something you. like that. Um, and so you guys did it as a mother daughter activity. Yes. Yes. And so right after we got, um, right after I got my hunter safety, um, the company was actually just launching the idea of this women's rifle. And so it really came at a, you know, pivotal time for me, um, because I had this like purpose to then help launch this rifle. And we, um, women of Weatherby, that was kind of what we called it was really about mentoring. Yep. So I, kind of, um, you know, hooked up with a few mentor lady hunters and they took me out and helped me learn. And then that Camilla rifle just kind of gave me a lot of opportunities um, to hunt for myself. And it wasn't that I was going out, actually most of my hunting the first couple of years was not with Adam. It was with other women. So it was just a, um, and with my daughter. So it was a really learning, fun experience. Um, No pressure you know, so yeah. it was just, it was really, I would say with, if it wasn't for the Camilla rifle, I probably wouldn't be the hunter that I am. So there was kind of a, things lined a push. Up. Yeah. yeah. Things lined up. Nice. Yeah. Like, you've always, Brenda's always been passionate about cooking Oh yeah, and about eating oh, healthy yeah. and, you know, as a family and all those kind of things. So yeah. I think that part of it was always natural to her too. And so that I think was one piece that pulled you in as well. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I remember my first pig hunt. That was my first big game animal. And if you call pig, big game but um yeah man yeah what else would it be big pig yeah it's a big pig (laughs) big Um, varmints (laughs) but i didn't know like they're like do you want to do this and i'm like well i guess i should try i don't know what i'm going to feel afterwards and everyone says oh i could never do that and i'm like well i don't know if i could do it or not but i guess i'm going to try and then i can always say no that didn't work out for me um so but after i shot my first pig i was like that was awesome that was so it was just a positive experience um, and then I took home all this meat and I was like, this is so cool. So the meat part like actually put me over the fence way more than the, than really the experience. I mean, the experience was awesome, but like I got to enjoy this meat and cook it for my family 
for like months. Yeah, like, lends, that was just it, amazing. It, it lends a nice, satisfying validity to the whole thing. Yeah, you, you know, get, I, mean, like, I never have like to like, buy a T-bone again. Like yeah, that was like amazing. This, yeah, it's this tangible thing that comes from it. Yes. yes. Uh, do you hunt with your daughter much? Yeah. Yeah, she enjoy mm-hmm. it. She does enjoy it. She's a very busy girl um, in high school, doing sports, doing this and that. But she is, um, she's quite a little firecracker. She, um, yeah, she can just. Run them like no one. She's a great shot, and she'll carry anything on her back a lot longer than you would ever think she could. The cow came with so. us, and Dana, our daughter, shot an antelope this last year, and and she just because she wanted to. There were eight guys yeah. with her, but she had slew, slewed the um, antelope on her backpack, we carried just, the whole thing we by just herself. Just field dressed it, and she packed it out probably three quarters of a mile on her back. The whole animal. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it was just purely <laughs> off of. Well, I want to do wanna more. Do- because, you know, ha- antelope hunts just... Not enough. There's, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's more kind of social. And then had a great stock and super fun. And and then she's like, well, can I help, like, get this thing out? And I was like, well, I'll stuff that thing in your backpack for you if you want to do it. And it was, like, the highlight of my hunting season. It was awesome. <laughs> like, her That's attitude and, she's and just, getter. like... She is. You know, kind of stopped and adjusted the pack a couple of times and lifted it up and gave her a break once or twice. And she's like, okay, yeah. It was so cool. How old? Really cool. 16. Okay. Yep, she'd been 15 then. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was awesome. When you say a woman's rifle, how's that, like, what, how is it actually different than a, than a yeah, well, man's Brenda's rifle? I've been talking about guns a lot. Brenda? Yeah, the Camilla um, ergonomically is different. So the stock itself is different. So shorter length of pull, um, slimmer grip. Um, You'll have to explain length of pull. Sorry, length of pull. So this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably butcher length of pull. I mean, no, just explain it. Like you explain. Yeah. So your arms are shorter. Most women's arms are shorter, and so a full length rifle feels really big and feels off balance to it's them. The amount between the the buttstock that so, goes on your shoulder and where your finger pulls the trigger. The distance from the, the distance. end of the stock to the trigger. Correct. Yeah. So, so uh, when we were designing it, we had five different. Um, women, they're all of different kind of statures and we A lot of took, very experienced hunters. Jeez. Yeah, and guides and stuff. And so we basically took all of our measurements and we tried to come up with something that would, um, you know, it's not a custom rifle because everyone would have a different length of pole, but it yeah. was, you know, similar. So it would um, fit that person. But even just the, the curves of it, the shape of it, the the women's neck is typically longer. The cheek weld. So we, mm-hmm. the actual, you know, cheek piece is different. And the actual uh, pistol grip is is narrower too to actually and in your distance not only the length of pull back from your shoulder if you would out to the trigger but also that grip the grip to trigger yes. is a different dimension so it's it's oh, not just you. what a lot of people do for quote youth or women okay is they just change the length of the pull so they hack the butt back of the buttstock off everything else is the same everything else remains the same but in our experience, when women go to purchase things, they don't like to buy things made for men, but slightly smaller. They like things to be shaped, specifically fit, or ergonomically designed for them. And mm-hmm. so we did that and packaged it in something that is done really well for us because there's just not a lot out there. And there are a lot of women like Brenda who are maybe newer to things. And so it's um, we found a lot of women to really identify with it in a lot of different ways. So. I think the biggest feature is um, the cheek weld. So it sets your cheek up higher so you're not crinking your neck down. And that's been the biggest change, at least for me. You know, a lot of times um, you're trying to find your way, th- your scope picture, and it's just is really difficult. 
Um, and so, so that scope alignment for new hunters sometimes difficult, right? Yeah. Trying to actually get your eye. That was the line. hardest thing. For oh me yeah, man. That. It take forever. You're like, where do I go? How many? How many guys are taking your kids on their first night? You're like, there's a big, big deer, whatever, and they're like. I can't see I can't through the scope. See it. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's the. I feel like <laughs> number one. No one really discusses it, but when you're hunting with a new hunter, that's typically the problem. They're lifting their head up and down and left and right. Like it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't find it. Yeah. And so that's that's the biggest. I think most women would say that's the biggest feature that they like. So we have it in so. a lot of calibers and our Mark V and our Vanguard rifles and a lot of different ones. So it just keeps expanding because it's just been really popular because there's not a lot out there specifically designed. For women, it's got to be hard though because you're making a product for only ten. Like you're you're automatically limiting yourself to to ten percent yes. of the user group. However, mm-hmm. here's the difference: is pretty much every other gun company out there is building guns for the ninety percent. So every time I build a regular guy's rifler or whatever you call it, yeah. it's competing against everybody. We're competing against very very little people for that space. There's just not a lot of people who yeah, who see that, point. and we love the idea of new hunters, you know, coming in in in, in enjoying the outdoors. And I think, you know, people like Brenda that have experienced that, like we want to make it a great experience for them. And often things that you purchase help you get into that, right? I mean, like you start to get into something and they're like, wow, that rifle is like made for me. I'm going to, I'm going to get my own rifle. A lot of women come into it and they're using boyfriends, dads, uncles, or whoever stuff. And it's just, you tend to get more into things once you start spending a little bit of money on your, your activity, right? Yeah. 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 You got your own gear. And I mean, the f- they don't like to wear guys, just like women's outdoor clothing gear, the same thing. I mean, they don't want to wear guys' clothes. So yeah. same sort of thing. Do you, uh, in, in the firearm business where there's people seem to like new stuff, right? And you have all these new companies that are mm-hmm. making these like small run customs and stuff. Is it, do you, do you feel that it's hard to, like you guys have, you have a, 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 like a legacy brand, mm-hmm. Right, it's that every it's like everyone in the country, not everyone in the country, most hunters who've been hunting a long time, like recognize it and know the name. But do you feel that it's like a confusing landscape right now because there's so much, you know, there used to be just this like small handful of gun manufacturers, and now there's hundreds. Right. There's What's a that lot. like? What is it like to exist in that landscape? Yeah, it's you got to find your unique space right? Like how are we unique and how do we stand out? And I think we've spent a lot of time as a team going in some ways, we have that brand name, that recognition, everybody, what we hear a lot of times is, oh, Weatherby, always wanted to own a Weatherby. Or man, I remember my dad's Weatherby collection. Or It's that. So we have the brand prestige that's there. Um, and then it's okay. Once we have that brand, like how do we, how do we stand out? Part of it is you're sitting here and talking to Adam and Brenda Weatherby. There's very few left in our industry where you could say that about of any company that's been around for longer than a decade or two. Yeah, and, and there's something personal about that in a, an American-owned, you know, firearms and ammunition company that I think a lot of folks in our industry appreciate. So there's some uniqueness about that. Um, I think that you know the ballistic superiority thing we talked about. It's a little bit different, so we always need to come back and go. Okay, we got to remember, Grandpa started this thing with with ammo, and like the speed game is something that we do. We do hear a lot because that brand prestige about the quality craftsmanship, but you start to go there in the accuracy and everybody starts to claim that type of stuff, right? And we kind of find ourselves in the middle. There's a lot of the small gun shop guys and there's maybe some of the large or large competitors that um, you have tons of resources, but yeah, we, I think we can be more nimble because of our size. And so we try to really just take advantage and go, who are we in this space? 
And how can we take our brand prestige, our quality craftsmanship, our ballistic superiority, the things that are different about us, the family-owned aspect of it, and really leverage that? We can't ever – we're not going to have guns as cheap as a few of the large U.S. gun manufacturers. It's not good for our brand, and we'll lose money. <laughs> so for two reasons, it's not a good idea. Um, and so we need to focus on that space for a lot of, lot of gun at a good value with our premium name on it. We're also not the custom shop guy that only makes 100 a year. And so like, we're never going to have the quality that you are on like a Parazzi shotgun that's like $100,000 or something. We're not going to compete there. We're also not going to have a rifle for 249 So we have to figure out like who we are in all those, those spaces and kind of do that. When we do that, it gets really less crowded really quickly. I said that right. Does that no, make sense? Yeah. 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 What's uh, what's the sweet spot on on money? Because we'll oftentimes have people coming, uh, people that are coming to us, they're trying to figure out buying a rifle, mm-hmm. and they're trying to understand what do I get for three hundred bucks, and what do I get for seven thousand? Yes. And where do I need to land in there? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like you kind yeah. of you kind of find like you mentioned you're not going to have a two hundred forty nine dollar. Yeah. Rifle, right. rifle. You know what's funny is like where does off, the I guess where does the where do the returns yes where does what you're getting really start to drop off sharply? No, it makes sense as you get into the astronomical totally. dollar amounts. Yeah, I think first is you know what's funny is there's a lot of guys who are a lot of guys who own a lot of guns, so they don't spend a lot of money on any particular one gun, right? So a lot of people that own a firearm own 15 firearms, right? Yeah. But then they they do it and they buy a lot. The crazy thing is. They'll complain about the difference sometimes between a $349 gun and a $499 gun, $350 and $500. And they just, but then it's like, whatever, you get a smartphone and it's dead in two years. These are like generational pieces that you're like making memories with, traveling throughout the world, harvesting game, and possibly handing them down to your great grandchildren. And you're complaining about $150. So I think there is a certain point this is me personally speaking, that you want to have a little bit of, of pride in that product. Now, there's different uses, okay? You get a truck gun, you throw it around, and you got a rancher that wants to shoot a coyote or something. It might be a little bit different, right? Yeah. And so it depends on what you're going to do with it. But even if you're getting a, just a deer rifle that you're going to have for a long time, you want something that has that quality feel to it, and it doesn't rattle around and feel like a piece of junk, you know? No, I it's, think, a, it's disappointing, man, when you have something that feels like it drives me rattly. And it drives me nuts, though, <laughs> The like sometimes over like a hundred bucks. I'm like, guys, like you just went and bought a big screen TV at Costco last weekend. Like that difference could have just bought you a piece you'd had for 50 years and had pictures with on your walls and like handed to your grandkids. Like, so I'm passionate about that, right? Because that's what I do and I get that. So I'm a little thwarted. But I think you get into a certain price point. There's a lot at the bottom in the last five years. There's been a lot that's come out at the very bottom. There are decent, good shooting guns at the bottom of the pile, well under $500, yeah. okay, for a deer rifle that did not exist 10 years ago. Under 500 bucks 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of good stuff. There are some good shooting guns that will shoot well and harvest deer or whatever you're shooting. I think from there, if you're looking to get beyond that at all, there are other values and features. It's the quality. It's the way the bolt feels. It's durability. Cerakote's real popular, which is a coating on the gun, an all-weather coating, which then brings in the color aspect. There's, do you want a muzzle brake? Do you want a detachable magazine? You know, so you start to get into a little bit of the features, you know, that are on there. But the difference between, like, a, a $350 gun and a $750 gun is everything. Like, from a quality and feature standpoint of what you get 
in the in the difference of those, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and just even the tolerances, and you go to mount a scope up, and sometimes things are off. It's like all of those type of things that just kind of kind of add up there. But I think uh, what we're doing, like our Vanguard line, I think it starts at about maybe mid fours to five hundred bucks, about as cheap as you'd go in a rifle that has a Weatherby name on it. But we, where the trend has gone the last five years is actually towards more of the value added stuff that we're selling a lot in the 750, 800, 850, where they're like, man, I get Cerakoted and might match with my camo, like that first light Vanguard that we have, right? I think it's pushing about a thousand bucks. It's selling like crazy for us because you're like, I got flutes in the barrel, which help the barrel to cool a little bit better. Plus it makes it look cool. Looks cool. And it's supposed to make it more rigid, more accurate, all this kind of stuff, right? But plus then you have the full Cerakoted flat dark earth that matches with the colors on the first light. And it's got a muzzle brake, reduces recoil by 50%. All those things you're adding up. It's a gun that when you're sitting around the, I don't know, sharing a campfire with people, you're like, I don't know, a little biased, but you pull out your Weatherby and you're like, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. And there are other brands out there that are like that too. Obviously, I think that are on par with that. But you certainly do get those features along not just the brand. But I don't know. That was my sales pitch. But I like it. I do this for a living, so I'm pretty passionate about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just. I think life's too short to hunt with an ugly, cheap gun unless you have to. Okay. So your economics may okay if that's the case. There, are, like I said, there are a lot of guys dropping money on big screen TV and all these other things. So then it's just a priority matter. And at that point, get a smaller TV and get a nice rifle for crying out loud. That's yeah. what I think. But. Yeah, small, like smaller, older truck too. Yeah, it's yeah. a $60,000 yeah. pickup and the $40 binos, man, see, which, always throw, which always throws me. Oh, you know? optics are the same way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or you get you have real nice optics and a bad rifle or vice versa. So it's all, for a lot of people, they say they can't afford a decent rifle. Most of the time, I find that not true. It's just what you choose to spend it on. It's priority so, for sure. And if I feel you like, like it's your a hard, truck lift, then go get it. Yeah, it's a hard sell for beginners, mostly, yeah. I find. I don't really find that talking with an experienced hunter, they really get that too much. But for some reason with beginners, mm. I'm always like, yeah, you really shouldn't go there for X, Y, and Z. And they just don't. And I feel like you just have to have a certain amount of experience to be like, oh, okay. I, I understand why that bolt throw, this feels better. And it might, you know end up meaning more dead deer in the long run because mm-hmm. it's faster and smoother or whatever. I think binos, fishing reels, rifles. I guess. There's just certain things like over the course of your life you realize um, there's certain things that just warrant the extra expenditure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your pre-spooled fishing reel sitting there. And yeah, beware the reel that comes with line on it. <laughs> yes. Spend all day untangling crappy And a lure line. tied yeah. on the end already. Yeah. yeah, the more stuff is attached to it when you purchase it, it's actually, it seems better, but it's actually much worse. Yeah. Spence, you cool right now? Do you think gun technology has peaked? Like, uh, I am know a lot more about the archery industry and like, a decade ago, it seems like the materials and the cam systems and things like that, like it just hit a wall. And now vertical bows haven't gone much further in like a decade. Has that been the case like in the gun industry or do you think you're close to that? I think it's actually rounding a corner right now, technologically. Um, you know, let's say carbon fiber barrels, right? Which it's still steel. Okay, just so everybody knows that it's carbon fiber wrapped around steel. So the part the bullet travels through is still steel. But you're seeing those on a ton of rifles right now, right? I mean, you got proof research up here in Montana. That's 10 years ago. It was like really rare to see those. And so you're starting to see, I think you're going to see more materials with a lot of uh, material technology and composite technology, different things. I think actually, because I think the firearms industry is really slow 
I mean, you start, you look at the technology in a firearm or, you know, like I always use the example of a 1911 pistol. There's like a half a million of them made a year. It's a 108 year old design. Our flagship product was designed by an engineer in the fifties. Like we hadn't even been on the moon. Like you start to look at this. It's like a lot of, I mean, you're talking a cartridge. How long has it been around? You got a chunk of brass, you put a little detonator thing in the back called a primer, you fill it with some powder and you stick some copper and lead in the end of it. It's been that way since before we were all born. You look at, you know, smartphones and vehicles and so many different things. I mean, this podcast, this whole internet thing, like none of, and no, this has stayed the same. So through there's the a lot Through of the room. atomic age, through the internet age, the guns. fundamentals. Got my guns and my ammo. The fundamentals are just. Yeah, the same. So I think yeah. there's a lot of room. That's and I think point, in the man. next decade, we're going to see a lot. Um, Lasers. We hired, we hired a guy from aerospace uh, that actually for oh, 10 yeah, years. You guys did get a rocket scientist. We did. Engineer. <laughs> Literally <laughs> got an engineer that built a spacecraft that went to Mars. But he comes in and he looks at our industry and he just like laughs. He's like, like guns are funny. Let's build real cool stuff. <laughs> and so he's taking though, and I think bringing those outside things in rather than us that grew up with insights, like it's got to be this way. You got to bolt action. It's got to operate just this way. Bringing in those outside folks um, are really going to help it as well as more folks, more people in the industry makes it competitive. It's very competitive right now. The market's not great. That drives people towards innovation. So I think there's actually going to be a lot to answer your question, Spencer. I think there's going to be a lot of innovation the next decade. In so in industry. summary, it's far from peaking. Yeah, there's guys starting to make polymer cases oh, okay. instead of brass. Like there's, I mean, you look at the technology in, in you know, the, the polymer type of stuff and plastics and the, you know, the chemistry and all those things, I think, uh, you know, from stocks to recoil reduction, optics is starting to see a lot more electronics in, in there. And, you know, you, I mean, just even your, your range finding stuff to your ballistics of how you run that and your apps on your phones. I think 10 years from now, it's going to be quite a bit different. So I should hold off like a decade before buying. No, with that said, <laughs> with that said go buy a gun now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think that one of the things that, that becomes the, the slow movement is, you know, I mean, hunters are like, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of people who buy guns that aren't hunters, right? Like, mo- most guns are not bought by hunters, they're bought by shooters. But you guys have said you always had a strong hunting focus. Um, hunters are like kind of anachronistic. You, you're like, it, it's a traditional, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of people that you're not ignoring technology, but there is a strong tradition component. And you even mentioned uh, you value the, the fact that your business is a family business. You value that your grandfather was involved. You were talking about like a gun that you can hand down, right? There's all these these themes come up of some kind of you know legacy legacy attributes, right? Mm -hmm. And so people there's not a lot of left like that in this world. No, no one's like (laughs) the thing about this phone, man, is when I give this phone to my grandson, he makes a call and he makes a call on it. Like no one, right? (laughs) Right. This no. is not there. No, there is. And I mean, hunting at its roots is a very... Relational. Yeah, it, it's relational with people. but it, And so usually your technology kind of goes away and you get in the outdoors to escape technology yeah. these days, right? So there is part of that, as well as hunting itself and the taking of game and harvesting of an animal and cooking it is a very old human tradition. <laughs> like So just the roots of doing that and getting your hands messy, like it's a very just old thing and i think there's part of us as humans that want to get back to our roots a little bit that way you know the single most valuable tool i have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun 
is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, I'm in the navel, and I hear, pow, I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame, wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save terms and conditions apply sport dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry born in 2003 in knoxville tennessee sport dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs the sport dog promise to consumers is simple gear the way you'd design it every product sport dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter now i've got two good buddies with what i would call really really good waterfowl dogs and here's one of those buddies max not the dog but the buddy i've used that sport dog collar now in multiple different states u.s and canada different temperatures all the way to negative 20 degrees and it just doesn't stop working i'm a fan for life get 20 percent off your first purchase using code meat eater so go to www.sportdog.com slash meat eater to learn more I was down in Florida messing around with some guys one time and they had one of these, uh, one of those rifles where you have a laptop set up mm. and the laptop's actually tied into the rifle. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. And I, I, even just watching it made me feel dirty. <laughs> <laughs> 
I felt like we found, I felt like when we found like some hustler magazines in a ditch when we were kids, man. It was just like watching. I was like, I don't know. I'm real getting life. real uneasy feeling. <laughs> like I wanted to turn and look the other way. Like something about it yeah, just made just me uneasy. Too- yeah, I was like, man, I don't know, dude. Laptops. Should we be plugging those into our guns now? Feels yeah. like. No, it is. I mean, we do <laughs> that in our off. testing. Like we have an underground <laughs> yeah. range, so we're testing as a company, trying to put good, safe, reliable, accurate, you know, fast shooting stuff. So we need to have that type of stuff. Um, for a consumer, it is true. And I had that same. There's some people who run to it very enthusiastically. But yeah. I'm saying with me, you know, it's uh-huh. just it's a per, it's not I'm not it's not even a condemnation of no. the thing, but it's like me personally, I see mm-hmm. it, and and I don't. I'm more, and I know Cal's this way. Uh, when I see stuff like that, I'm more. I don't like lean into it. I'm more kind of lean away from it mm-hmm. a little bit. But I, I mean, I use a laser rangefinder. Sure. You know. I think, and I think there's certain things. One thing that I'm passionate about as hunters is hunters and conservation and getting people outdoors. Is we do need to stay as united as possible, and there are people that are going to be like say anti-technology and those type of things, or some people are going to gravitate towards it or away from it if it's legal if it's ethical if it's good for the wildlife the conservation the habitats all those things line up then like i think we need to be okay going yeah you can use that piece that's cool for you but like even the long range hunting conversation i get asked a question all the time right and how far is too far and all those different things of like what that is but technologies come a ways and it's like so what is there a magical number is it 400 is it 950 is it how many? It's, it's, that's not the answer. Right. But people are looking for that to go, yeah. where is that ethical? And there's so many things. That oh, come people want to apply so. a number to it real bad. Oh, yeah. All the time. And there's people that I know that can shoot at 800 yards better than a lot of people can shoot at 300 yards. No, this, <laughs> I, I've been with plenty of people. I'm like, for you, yeah. 100 yards yeah. is pushing it <laughs> from what I've seen. Right. <laughs> exactly. It depends on their equipment. It depends on the person. So I think in general, I don't know. I think I definitely don't want to come against. Like you said, hey, that's not for me. You know, like I'm not, it feels weird. It feels dirty. But you, know, then, you know, Shane Mahoney, you ever hear him? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. I've heard him speaking. So I had dinner with him one time not long ago. I, this is the first time I ever hung out with him. And he was talking about the technology question. And um, he's talking about like future generations or people who grew up in the outdoors wanting to engage their kids in it and get their kids excited. And he feels that all this, this language I'm a little bit, I hope he doesn't hear this and feel like I'm misrepresenting his perspective. I think I'm getting it. Is that all of this sort of this anti-technology rhetoric about needing to get kids away from technology, he feels like you're, you're setting up an unnecessary obstacle for yourself in having your kids involved where you're putting them in this situation where they have to either, either it's or. like I'm making it be that you have to choose tech which is where all of American society is pushing you, or you have to choose my thing, which is non-tech. And he feels that that, if that's the game we're going to play and how we're going to frame this conversation up and position this, you will lose. We will lose. That's smart. That it's accepting that you can love nature and want to engage with nature and want to be outside, and that doesn't mean that you have to you know, shove all these other interests of yours away and that there is room to have these two worlds hmm. come together in some way that it, like, is it increasing? Now I'm getting beyond what he said, but I'm just extrapolating from his perspective. Is like, is it, inc- like, is it increasing? Is some better than none? 
would be one way of putting mm-hmm. it, right? And, and so and, and it's the thing, like, I think about all the time. Like, if I take my kids out, if I take them out jigging halibut, which on a bad day is one of the worst things that a person could ever do, is jig a halibut on a day when no one hooks a halibut. So if they're with me out in a boat, suffering in all the ways that I want them to suffer, and they get bored and pick up a Kindle and play a game, should I now act like somehow this has all been a failure? <laughs> They're still out in the damn boat suffering. They don't want to be here. I'm making them be here. They're still in it and seeing it and around it. So is it that bad, right? It's like I always look at that I question. Agree. And I, I kind of like on one hand, I hate to see, like I'm like, oh man, why do you got to do that? Well, you've been out here six hours. Right. Still gonna and get and seasick. And- yeah, we ran out of we ran out of Tootsie Pops two hours ago, man. So I'm like, I guess it's still okay. Like, do this, and and it'll be, you know, we'll, we'll integrate. Right. We'll integrate. I'm not, gonna, have, I'm not going to create a dichotomy. For you have you. a lot of people that are though. Yeah. And like even like so, I use a, a Garmin Inreach, right, for mm-hmm. being able to text Brenda or the business when I'm gone. Things and people are like, that's horrible. You get outdoors to escape that and everything. I'm like, yeah, but with my business, I'm out in the backcountry a lot. Just testing product or with media or different things. And I need to do that to continue to run my business, check in with my family, make sure, okay. So I check in, it doesn't ruin my hunting trip. So if I check my inReach for 10 minutes a day, it, and then you have those people like, yeah, you got to get off the grid. I'm like, well, then I wouldn't be able to go hunting as much because yeah. I got a business to yeah, run. You see this thing? This allows me to be out hunting. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know why I'm here? I'm here because I'm trying to run this business. And so you have to like, yeah. you know, where people, some people are just anti that too, you know, can't be a communication. Well, no, if I, he's I gone for 14 days <laughs> and he never calls me, then he's not going to be gone for 14 days. Questions arise. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Things that one needs feedback on uh, come up yes. during those time periods. So what, uh, you like Wyoming. Awesome. You guys putting in for some tags and whatnot? No. No. We, yeah, they, they take their residency real serious oh, there. Oh, because you're just not there yet. 12 months. No, well, we've been there for nine months. No, wait, months. 12 months? Wow. You have to be, it's 12 months in Wyoming. To the day. Not and to the month. You can't put in to for, the day. you can't apply for tags. Um, yeah, yeah. For limited quota. So in other words, by the time this hunting season rolls around, I've been, I'd have lived in the state of Wyoming for 16 months. I'll hunt as a resident with general tags, but I cannot apply for limited quota in May because I moved here in June. No, I'm with you. At the time of application, you need to be a legal resident. That's correct. And I asked the director of fishing game for the state just to make sure. I, that, <laughs> I don't think that's a... Oh, we're going to have fun no matter that's what. A, 12 months <laughs> is a long time, but I don't think that's like too much. Man, I feel like it's, it's bo- I, I wouldn't... I think <laughs> no. more than that. More we than that. <laughs> Some states... I think there's yeah. a lot of states that run six months. Yeah. Montana six, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Alaska, is it six or 12? I feel like everything's six. We're like five years. No, I'm just kidding. It's because we're right. <laughs> but here's the thing. There's so much amazing general yeah. season hunting. We'll be able to do this fall anyways. I, man, I like so. those states that take it real serious though, man. Mm-hmm. That, like, I like those states that guard the resource real jealously. Mm-hmm. Like they take it seriously. It's true. You know? And it's like, hey. They're kind of, you get the sense that hunt, they're really watching As a resident in Wyoming, yeah. it's a privilege and you got to earn your privilege. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's there's true. a lot. There's a fair, all, all these, all the, destination states deal with quite a bit of fraud mm-hmm. people trying to get residency and getting yeah, an honey buying or, resident yeah, tags sure, and, which sure. is like All which is a really stupid way to save a few hundred bucks right but people do it right and buy you know people buy a vacation home in a state just to be able to buy resident tags in the state right. you hear all this kind of stuff right. all the time especially like in alaska <laughs> what because uh, well, i recently moved states 
Um, and when it came time to do it, like I went down with all my stuff. And I'm like, here's all my stuff. You tell me. Am I cool or not cool? Yeah. You know? Yep. To game and fish, I mean. Yeah, I mean, like, because yeah. there's, like, there's all these things about how, they, how a state defines a residency. Yeah, yeah. So just wanting to be not, I, I didn't want to be in a situation where yep. I was viewing it one way and would encounter a warden who viewed it another way. Right. And then, then the media to follow. Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Because <laughs> there's no better story. There's, there's, <laughs> if there's one story Americans like, it's a person with a hunting show yes. getting in trouble mm-hmm. with the law. Mm-hmm. With regards to hunting rules, right? That story, people, right. or somebody running a gun company too. That, yeah, I that'd be a pretty good story. People would too. like that story. Yeah. Uh, what, what's in the future? Like, um, <coughs> you know, who's gonna do? You, do you have you? Do you have an heir? Do you have an heir who's interested in the business? You know, we don't know. We don't want to. Just like my dad didn't push it on me, and you know, we we're just taking it a day at a time. And you don't bring it up. Oh, we talk about things, you know, as a family and all that kind of stuff. But I knew when I was in high school, I was thinking about lots of things. So, you know, we let them think about that. But I think so you, it don't is- t- you don't tell your daughter that there's one path in this world for you. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> and that's Weatherby. <laughs> no, it doesn't work out so well. Actually, about a month ago, <laughs> she was at the office because she came over, did homework while we were waiting to go home. And then on the way oh, home, really? yeah, she yeah. was just doing homework. And anyways, um, we drive home and on the way home, she goes, man- I thought I wanted to work at Weatherby, but dad's job looks really stressful. I don't know if I want to do that. She was I in said, my office well, and we're like three back-to-back calls. She, yeah. It was one of those, well, she's here and this is just part it's of running real. the business. You need to plan it out better it's when real. she comes down. You just do like totally fun stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, like, we do lots with of a pin- fun It's like, oh, I'm just playing with a pinata in my office. <laughs> we do fun <laughs> stuff too, but <laughs> work is work though. Work's you work. Know? They have to read X amount of pages yeah. of the employee handbook before they go to bed. <laughs> stuff, subtle right. things stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> but if you had to guess, if you had oh. to guess, like, what, do you think one of your? Uh, I I don't know. You I don't, don't want to say go it on publicly because I don't want I don't want you know, to take. I want them to do. They got to make their own path. I, exactly their lives. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want anything that we do to help determine that because I wouldn't have wanted that on me. My dad was really cool about that. Is that right? Uh huh. Where my my grandpa was a stronger personality that first generation entrepreneur he's the one who started it and so like my grandpa was just you know die hard the business which is awesome that's why we're here today but my dad huge family guy and just really you know i think the pendulum swung a little bit so he's like you know with us it's like hey it's a business and it's a blessing it's an opportunity it's a legacy brand and all those things but like hey you got one life and i'm not gonna tell you how to live it so that's good perspective yeah yeah people would like to ask me like what are you gonna do if your kids don't like to hunt as much as you do yeah, I was telling most people don't. <laughs> yep, right. It's true, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you know, we just, yeah, I think it's important as parents. I mean, we certainly don't want to want to parent that way. You know, just same thing with you. I mean, you have we're leading a business that's fairly well known, and you're doing the same. And it's like at the same time, like I want them to be Connor and Dana, and who they are. Right now, my eight year old thinks he wants to work here. Yeah, right. a six-year-old wants to work at right. her, her on her aunt's ranch. <laughs> She's got her mind made up about that. <laughs> can you uh, can you plug something? Can you leak any like uh, cool things, or don't you want to plug anything? Man, I mean, just last week we launched a new shotgun, so we're excited about that. I know it was uh, unpackaged on social media. Their meat eater, pretty good unpackaging of the product. You know, but... we had a good laugh about <laughs> what. <laughs> 
Like there's a thing when you touch, like I like a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Is there's the, uh, when you touch the stock, mm-hmm. it's got a nice grippy, but not too grippy. Mm-hmm. And Giannis used the word tacky. Mm. And someone was like, well, tacky has a negative connotation. I'm like, I don't think in Giannis's life, he has ever declared something tacky in so, a negative way. Like, maybe someone, but not something. <laughs> when he says tacky, it, it means it's, it got, the, it's it. got the like, but not too much. <laughs> because sometimes people will do that and it gets like um, sticky. Yes. Or it doesn't like, it doesn't move. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, when you, you when want you move it to it, slide through your hand, it won't. That's what I'm yeah. trying yes. to say. Like it, like yeah. it winds up feeling like yeah. when you when you move, it kind of brings your skin. What am I trying to help me out here? Yep. It like it like your skin grabs it and twists and stuff. But this yeah. is like grippy, but not not too grippy, sticky. Right. You hit the right. You really and it's. I don't know if it's something hit the right you guys, grippy tackiness. I don't know if you guys focus on it, yeah. but you hit. You really hit the right oh. tackiness. I'm sure someone thought about. Yeah, there's no <laughs> you get tackiness. You don't get accidental tacky. It is. I mean, how a gun looks is really important. Typically, people purchase a firearm without firing it, so you have to sell it on point, other man. things. That's so you point, go to a yeah. gun store. Like we always laugh with the bolt action rifle. First thing everybody does, and we'll be at gun shows, and these are good. You know buyers for big customers or these things and as soon as you hand it to them what do they do and they examine it every time cycle that bolt they pull it back and they kind of do that a few times and then you give them another model with a different colored stock they do the same thing it's the same darn action <laughs> and you'll give them five guns and they got to cycle it and it's just different colors right and so you tend to there's something about it ergonomically though with a firearm of how it makes you how, how it feels it's how it looks first on the gun shelf and then second how it feels to the touch and so i think it is important and then obviously when you hunt but you Rarely do you ever hunt or shoot a product before buying it. Most of the time, it's just how it feels in your hands. That's a really good point. So, I never, yeah, I never thought of that, man. Yeah. Like the thing that it's supposed to do, right? you haven't you done with test it. Drive. You go to buy a new yeah. truck. <laughs> you haven't you can, done it with it. You can go down and, and drive a truck usually and get a test drive. And there are a few places you can do that. But 90-something percent of the time, there aren't ranges right there for you to use. I mean, there are those type of things. Most of the time, there's not. So... Yeah, I realize that's true, but I never really thought about mm. it. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times, I mean, your bolt-to-action gun won't even have a scope on it. So no. you're just throwing it up and sort yep. of pretending that no, you're <laughs> looking through a scope. We were looking. We used to have a copy of an ad. I think it was a Walmart ad. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Where there's like no. a picture of it. It was like, it wasn't? I can't remember. I it's not, it's not important. It Somebody a, messed up in a marketing. A big store, though. and they had an ad, and it was like getting geared up for deer season, but they had a dude with a... You know, he's holding the rifle up in his tree stand. No scope. No. Well, not even iron sights. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> he was aiming. Yeah. Was he aiming? I believe yeah. he was aiming. Oh, looking my down goodness. The, yeah, that yeah, I was just like a good real, outside marketing firm there. It was like when you see those. It, it, the other thing that happens all the time is you're looking at something where someone's trying to sell lawn chairs or something. There's like the fishing scene and the dude has the open face reel that's up. Mm-hmm. And you realize that the art director mm-hmm. is in over their waiters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when they design. That's cute. I like that. When they design the shoot. Why'd you guys name the new shotgun what you named it? I don't have a problem with the name. Oh, no. You know, it's funny because naming meetings are always the hardest when you design a product. You design a whole product and you get to the end. And either all the names have been taken in a billion different industries. Like right? Buck Slayer. Right. And, uh, and then what's funny is. Even in the in the firearms world, like how many uh, an eight seventy Remington eight seventy or a model Winchester model seventy a nineteen eleven just a bunch of like na- 
numbers and letters and you yeah. try to come up with something cool that's, you know, I don't know, whatever, named after something and our names are always all over the place. It's always something like you try to like do. Um, and sometimes it does tell a story though. So we had like a, a semi-auto that came out in 2008. It was the SA08, okay? Um, we had the PA08. This is the 18i. It's developed in, in 18. We launched it in 19. Um, at the time we named it, we were hoping to launch it in 18. Uh, inertia, because it's an inertia-driven. Oh. Uh, so instead of our other semi-autos are a gas-driven, um, where the gases in there are actually what cycle the shotgun, if you're not familiar with it. Inertia is actually the recoil that cycles that semi-auto. And so that inertia system, so it's the 18i, developed in 2018, inertia system. So That's one thing we notice if you take it mm-hmm. and the just bolt. gently tap it. Correct. It'll... That's like right. The bolt will, will kind of go. And bolt that's why it's so much easier to like bring a bolt back in an inertia semi-auto than in a gas semi-auto um, because it's made to come back easy and cycle that way. And it's the recoil um, that actually, you know, causes it to cycle. Once you shoot an inertia semi-auto, for me, a couple years ago, I switched over from a gas one and it's just, it's just smooth, light feeling. Um, oh, that thing, ergonomically, that thing is yeah. nice, man. Yeah. Yeah. You guys got one of the, the black synthetic ones? Yeah. Yeah, and then Yanni took a crack with his last night. I haven't tied. Twenty six oh, cracks. Cool. You took twenty six cracks. Oh, my nice. cheek is uh, mm. with three and a half inch. No, no, <laughs> I was just shooting two and three quarters, but I was yeah. I got through them quick. Cool. Shooting and, turkey bullets? No, 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 no. <laughs> Only one turkey round. Huh. I was just shooting field yeah. rounds just to get it dirty. Yeah, you know, perfect. Yeah, and we got took it apart last night. We got a camo it. one of that, and then we got a, a sweet wood one that I really like. That Cal, you shot right. Yep. The wood one with it's got a silver receiver with some kind of hand engraving and stuff, and it's it's pretty cool. So. And that that was upland specific, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not lighter. chambered for three and a half inch for the big waterfowl kind of guys. So. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. So that that just that just launched. Um, we're going to launch more rifle stuff, more cartridge stuff later in the year. Um, so. We have the new, the Wyoming commemorative model has been kind of fun. We just said, let's make a really nice, expensive rifle with all sorts of Wyoming stuff on Who's it. Who's that dude down there? And just make it blink. Steamboat? Yeah, that's that's like the, the state symbol, man. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, it's the University of Wyoming, like, mascot. logo mascot thing. Yeah. So that's on there in gold. And so that's it. We're starting our serial number prefix on our Mark 5s with WY00001. And we had number 87 went to a conservation banquet uh wildlife conservation banquet and it went for auction for 38 grand no yeah and it was like serial number 87 so it's like people in wyoming just love the move we feel just what group is that you know know? received with open arms wyoming sportsman's group wsg it's local in northeast wyoming um they do a lot up there locally all the all the funds stay there locally are people in wyoming pretty receptive to you guys moving there unbelievable it's so cool i think coming from where we came from and it's just we, it's not just Sheridan community, but Wyoming. I mean, uh, former governor Matt Mead was a big part of recruiting us. I mean, it's the whole He's a good dude, man. I like state. that guy a lot. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. like, like not, even outside of, like, mm-hmm. outside of politics, just hanging out with them. I hunted like, turkey with him last year and like antelope last sense year. Of humor, man. Dude, you just feel like he's just a real dude, yeah. you know? So, yeah. So, we just, we couldn't feel more at home. We just, and we'll say that all the time, like, we just, there was a lot that went into a few years of searching, you know, where to move a 70 something year old business. And we just are like, we nailed it in Sheridan, Wyoming. Mm-hmm. We did. <laughs> Didn't we? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Are you so. like, do you like being there, Brenda? Oh yeah. 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 It's been a lot of work to get there, but we're coming along the finish line here, getting our offices moved in. It's been and, a tiring couple of years. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, um, 
to, to do that, move your manufacturing, lose employees, train new ones, build a 75,000 square foot facility. Like it's just, it's short-term pain for a lot of long-term gain. Oh, yeah. And the long-term gains like going to start now and the short-term pain we're hoping is ending soon. It's just a lot. It's yeah. a, it's a big, cause in the midst of doing all that, like you still have to be competitive. You still got to launch a new product. You still got to market. You still, I mean, business doesn't stop for two years. So it's in addition to kind of the normal everyday thing that's out there. So we'd never moved a business. And it's hard, but weather can be so much better for it. Yeah. So. We're neighbors. Yeah, we love it, man. Just right down the road. Yeah, it's and fun. then people that follow our stuff, um, that follow the whole meat eater universe, you'll be seeing a lot more stuff from Weatherby because we're going to be working pretty closely together, which is real exciting for all of us. People this last week, so we kind of posted, we're going to start working with you guys some more. So people are saying, you can do a meat eater rifle? Already asking about fun stuff so it's gonna shoot lasers dude technology <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it's gonna look it's gonna use a lot of this old <laughs> old style things yeah we're gonna use really old technology just make it look cool <laughs> um you know it's funny you mentioned when you see someone pick it up and they work the bolt mm -hmm. what do you look for like when you see someone pick up a rifle what do you what do you want to see them do the trigger like, what do you see when you're like, he, he's, that's a discerning eye. <laughs> I don't know. I like to, like, I honestly, I work the bolt. Yeah, of course. Because you, you want to see, like, how, like, how sloppy and weird mm -hmm. it is. The play. And then, and then I'm yeah. interested in the trigger. It, it, those are the two things. And then a lot Very of times people will trigger. shoulder it, even if it doesn't have a scope on it. They want to see how it shoulders in that, in that balance. Obviously with a shotgun in particular, but even with the rifle too, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people are For into it. Sure. People are into triggers. Yeah, the bolt and trigger are the only two things that move that you can actually manipulate. <laughs> Otherwise, you just sit there and fondle the thing, you know, and see yeah. how tacky the stock is. <laughs> Dude, I, yeah. I it's like, just enough tack. Yeah. Another thing with that, having the right tack, I think that uh, the Mark V has, uh, you know, like everybody, for a while, everybody wants everything so damn light. Yeah. But you don't want it to be heavy. But I think people, like, the light thing has gotten a little... I know that you probably have a lot of customers that really want ultralight, ultralight. But there's still, like, a... There's still... There's the carrying it and shooting it. Mm -hmm. And there's a sweet spot. There's an intersection there. It's true. Where I think it, where I think it lands well. Because yeah. I've had some... I've had... I had a custom rifle a few years ago that I actually... Guy made it. And I went back to get a heavier barrel because it was... I felt it was like too light mm. when it came to shooting it. Like it when I shoot, I shoot off my backpack all the time. And when I laid that thing on my backpack, it just didn't have that like funk. Mm. Like it didn't land my pack in the way where I felt like it was laying there. It just yep. felt too light. Yeah. I love light. Chopsticky. I love light, but I agree. But that's the difference. See, if I hunt, I don't mind that. Because I pull the trigger, hopefully once, sometimes a little bit more, but hopefully once, but I carry it around for hours upon hours upon hours. Yeah. I don't know. Because I, I think I had one too light this last season, you know. It just doesn't feel right. I felt good. Oh, toting them around is great. Walking, but it was bouncing a little bit. And yeah. I was like, oh. True. My it's brother true. used to have a rifle that was... 13 pounds, oh, but geez. not because Ooh. it was like a souped up rifle. It was a garbage 13-pound <laughs> rifle. But he just really liked it. He said, when I lay that thing down, man, yeah. I feel like it's like 
I'm going to kill something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going anywhere. Well, just like every other consumer product, we have a little bit light and a little bit heavy and a lot in the middle. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's everybody's got Personal their preference. Personal preference. It is. We're going to get after yeah. some turkeys with the new shotgun. Cool. Cool. Where are you guys going? Everywhere. Okay. Man, we're going to hunt turkeys. Texas first. We're going to hunt turkeys. Our yeah. Michigan turkey hunt just got kind of screwed up. Oh, okay. We're going to hunt turkeys cool. in Texas. Cool. We'll hunt turkeys here. Hunt turkeys. I don't know. I'm gonna go to Wisconsin. Taking yep. the kids hunting turkeys. They're not allowed to hunt yet. Much to their. I remember dismay. when we took our kids turkey hunting. So for turkey hunting, you're supposed to be quiet. <laughs> Depending on the age of kids, like we took our like sub five, and like all they, they do is like it. sneeze and sniffle and like yell at each other. Yeah, that? <laughs> yeah. The only time I would ever shoot a turkey when they were long came along is once we scared them away, we just run them and gunned them, which you're not supposed to do. But No, no that's not bad. For With kids. kids. With no. kids. I took my little boy when I can't remember. I think he was three or four the first time I took him out. We sit in the woods. It's just getting light. And I was like, man, he's kicking ass. Then look, he's sleeping. As soon as he woke up, it all went downhill. <laughs> yeah, and then my, true. my friend Doug let him take a – after that morning, my friend Doug let him take a slingshot out to this old dilapidated house he's got on his property and let him shoot uh, – all the windows out with a slingshot in this rundown house. And so I thought of it as a turkey trip, but when he would recount mm. the trip to people, he was like, when I was in Wisconsin, shooting the windows out with a slingshot. <laughs> he was like, oh, is that, the is that what you're doing? Oh, I thought that was a hunting trip. <laughs> well, guys, you got any, um, do you got any concluders? Any final things you want to throw in there? Stuff you wish we asked? No, man, just... Excited to hang out more with you guys and and uh, look forward to seeing the stuff on the turkey hunts. Look forward to having you guys down. And just let anybody knows too, we're uh, after June 13th, we're going to have like a visitor center and just lobby for people to come by, sell some swag, and people can visit us and see us. We're right off the interstate there, very northern Wyoming. So when you're on your way to Bozeman from somewhere south, you come right by our place. You can see it from the highway. So... Um, you know, so that's a lot of people are asking about that. Oh, are we gonna be able to come by and visit? And everybody asks that they want tours. And our answer is right now, like, I need to make guns, so we're not gonna give you tours. But maybe later. Are you guys gonna put like some old <laughs> uh pieces up in the visitors area? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're gonna have a showroom. We'll have a lot of guns they can see historical, current. Brenda's been in charge of kind of outfitting that. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of yeah. Roy's memorabilia from yeah. Africa and mm -hmm. other places. Are you going to let people go shoot a cartridge that's not supposed to be in a certain gun just to resize the casing? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah, we're going to have fire-forming labs. Uh, <laughs> you going to just mix and match? <laughs> no. we, do uh, have, uh, we do have a couple underground ranges, though, right under it. It's pretty oh, cool. Okay. So I'm kind of jealous of that hat, man. Well, we can get you hats. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually thought today on the way up, I'm like, I should have probably brought some stuff. We're still, like, moving. So literally, we're, our offices are separate from our manufacturing. So I actually thought about it. I'm like, I don't even know where to go to find a hat except for my closet. You want this one? Yeah. Or right. the website. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I wish I can't trade anything. There you go. We, we could find something that for one's him. That one's been worn. Cookbook. Hey, man, I recently traded a, my shirt with another guy. Really? Yeah. Huh. You swapped? Yeah. Guy asked me if we could swap shirts. I'll I swap traded you. him. He I'll traded me his cookbook. flannel. He traded me a quilted flannel. For a hoodie. Hmm. I just did it for no other reason than I thought it was a good idea. That it sounded fun. Yeah. So you didn't, you guys got screwed because I didn't give you anything. 
Well, no, I'm gonna get a cookbook. From you're drinking one, our, you're yes. drinking one of our. You're drinking one of our Lacroix. <laughs> um, you're Brent, attracting a lot of bartering to yourself. Right? <laughs> yes, you are. A lot did, uh, yes, you are. <laughs> Brent, did you have any concluders? Anything you wish I'd asked you about? Hmm. Concluders. I got a cleaning question for Brenda. If you want to think about what yeah. your I thought is. Uh oh, I guess I want to know concluding. what the go-to uh, wild game meal is in the Weatherby household. Mm. Oh gosh, well, yeah, or the one, one of them. The one you know, recipe you wish everybody knew about. <sighs> Doesn't have to be fancy, she but just took like back a marinade from her first Africa trip. I that use we that a in, lot. In Western wild, Western wild game all the time, and I it's mean, really good. That's probably the go-to. That's probably go-to, but. I do a mean antelope curry. I do a, um, I mean, elk is very popular in our house. We had actually, you know, your lettuce wrap thing that you Mm -hmm. did with the mountain lion? Yeah. So I did that with pheasant just because I didn't have any mountain lion. Cal made mountain lion lettuce wraps. Yeah. That's nice. It was awesome. But I did the chili sauce and all that because you left that in my kitchen. I was, yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. I'm going to doctor this up. So So we, we got to cook in the Weatherby kitchen. Yeah, uh, which is I'm quite jealous of. It's a sweet, sweet layout. Um, Got to get some blinds on there for filming, though. <laughs> nope, you know. that just it, nope, that's a mountain view. Mountain man. view. Yeah. He keeps saying that. I'm like, no, we're not putting blinds. No, on there's a tent. There's a window tent you can put up. Oh, okay. You still oh. see the mountains. We could have one of our guys tell you how to do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, but yeah, we had a great time cooking. So I did kind of like a larb lettuce wrap deal, and then um, larb. Yeah. What's that mean? Yeah, it's that. Uh, basically, it's like a hand grind. You like dice meat until it oh, looks like how lettuce wrap the meat the the cut yeah. on lettuce. That's yeah. Yeah. I've heard that word. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's Thai. Yeah, it was like a Thai lettuce wrap. Man, we used to make a lot. That's one of the things that my kids would love, and I haven't made it in forever. Oh yeah, dude. Kids where you put the? That. Could you put some coconut in there? I did uh, peanuts. Like toasted some peanuts. Man, I'm gonna could. make some. I'm gonna make some lettuce wraps because the kids would eat that up big time. Because like. Fidgeting with stuff. Yeah. Is that a word or an acronym? Larb. It's a word. Look it up, Giannis. Check them. You never got back to the other, but you were supposed to be checking earlier. Yeah. <laughs> You're supposed to be checking what grain means. Uh, I got it pulled up, man. Giannis all backed just, up uh, on research. As, Brenda, as, also got as you all know, it's difficult to interrupt sometimes. Brenda, Brenda got one of the um, mountain lion. Oh, you didn't Let get a mountain lion sandwich. I didn't get the sandwich now. Yeah. I had to go to work. I was trying to make pork chop John sandwiches out of mountain lions. Mm-hmm. And uh, it turned out way more like a Chick-fil-A sandwich. Gotcha. <laughs> and, it's not horrible, though. Oh, man. Apparently, there's a lot of fans of Chick-fil-A out there. People were very <laughs> excited about that when I posted it up the other day. Well, Giannis does his research. I'm going to tell you. Remember we were talking about length of pole? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick length of pole story. I had... I, I suffered from Lyme disease mm. some years ago, and I had a lot of uh, problems with my nervous system while yeah. this was going on. And then one problem that really surprised me, and this is as I was just beginning to figure out that I had Lyme, but I had written, I needed to measure my length of pull. So I had written L-O-P on my hand. And I'm sitting at my desk. Um, I'm sitting at my desk, and all of a sudden I look, and I don't know what that means or why it's there. And I had a amnesia bout that lasted about two hours. Oh, wow. Where I lost track of about 24 hours of time. So I didn't know when I looked at my, I was working, I was writing and I had, and I was writing a, writing a document and I look at the document and nothing on the document makes sense. 
and I can't figure out where it came from to where I think someone wrote it on my computer. They knew what I was supposed to write about because I knew that I was supposed to write about it. I could remember that. I couldn't remember writing it. So I started taking passages of what I wrote, taking blocks of it and putting it into Google, trying to find where it came from. Because then I thought I must have cut and pasted someone else's article. And I couldn't find it. And I started taking shorter and shorter chunks and putting them into Google. And I couldn't find those combinations of words. That's weird. And I had a book on my desk with a sticky note with a guy's address on it. And I knew who it was, but he had texted me or whatever that morning to send them a book. So I wrote the address down. I couldn't figure out why I had a book laying there with that address. And then it just started expanding outward and outward. And I couldn't remember anything. But yeah, the first glimpse was like, what in the hell does LOP mean? But you figured it out <laughs> later. <Yeah. laughs> Is that common for Lyme disease? No. And they, they, it's like I went down. Yeah, things like that can happen. There's a lot of sort of mysterious parts of it that happen. And when they diagnosed it, they diagnosed it as global transient amnesia. But it's never happened to me. I've been alive 45 years. I had Lyme disease for five months. And it just strikes me as unusual that yeah. at the same time that my elbows were numb, my knees were numb, I couldn't go downstairs without holding the handrail, uh, all these sure. other problems. Like, like, how would it be that I had a, a, a two-hour amnesia bout within the worst of that five months that was not related? It just strikes so, me as like, how could it not be related? So what happened, like, the two hours, like, literally, was it like, that next minute, everything came back to you, or did it, nope, it like gradually it left, come back? It left instantly. I okay. mean, instantly. It was like just snap, and then it trickled back in. Interesting. Um, wow. I left. I was working at our the production company that makes Meat Eater Zero Point Zero. Um, I was working in their offices for the day, and I got so nervous and was so disoriented. I didn't tell anyone what was happening, and I left there. And then other parts, like I couldn't figure out how to get home. So that wasn't like a yesterday thing, but I very much knew who I was and right what I did, my wife. But I, other things slipped. Like I couldn't, I, I had, the, I couldn't think, I couldn't quite think of how to get home. But I knew enough to call my wife. Were you in the CIA? No. No. Okay. But for a minute, I wondered if I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were Jason Bourne or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Dude, it was so. And then it, it, once I got Dude. to the emergency room, stuff was coming back. Yeah. And maybe an hour or two later, it was all back and everything made sense. I'm like, oh, I was going to send Mark Boardman this book. I need to measure my length of pull. I remember writing the thing. It was. Wow. If there was a drug you could take that would do that to people, people would take it just to be tripped out. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Wow. Or get Lyme disease. And to call, like, to call your wife, I'm like, like, I don't understand what, but something is happening. Yeah, that's scary. And she's like, Where, tell me something. Where are you? Yeah, don't, don't move. move. Yeah, no, she said, she says, <laughs> yeah, don't move. Yeah. She's like, don't try to do anything. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to stand here. But something wrong is happening. <laughs> wow. Oh. oh, dude, it was scary. Did you find it? It's, yeah. Okay, first question. Is Cal right or wrong? He's right. I mean, and it, this Good is a job, can be a complicated recipe, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> most of these recipes were Thai, and it's basically like a Larb. Thai vers- version of like a chicken salad. And I'm this doesn't have it wrapped in lettuce, but I don't see why you couldn't. But yeah, usually the crunch is either, either like a toasted sticky rice or some nuts, um, and then all sorts of fragrant herbs. Yeah, that go in there. the larb. mint in there is mint. Yeah. Yeah. But they use mint. the word larb. Yeah, cilantro and mint, fish sauce, coconut. 
lime juice, chili flakes, green scallions, cilantro. Steve, if you're looking for a recipe, Daniel Pruitt has one on TheMeatEater.com for Thai venison lettuce wraps. But does she use the word larp? I, I feel like that's familiar. I think she did. <laughs> See, I wonder if I've there been looking go. at it but didn't know what I was looking at. Uh, it doesn't, what, in the new hearth household, what's hot right now for cooking? Um, I just got a sous vide, so a lot of sous vide stuff. Experiment with that whole deal? Yeah, and I, I do all the cooking, so I can like throw it in the sous vide pot before I come, before I come to work. It's ready when I get home, so big fan of that. You got the same setup where my wife doesn't like to cook. <laughs> but I like to cook, so we work, it works out good for us. Yeah, I, uh, I enjoy it. Um, okay, then the other thing. Yeah, tell me what a grain is real quick. The ancient grain varying from one culture to the next was defined as the weight of a designated number of dry wheat or other edible grain kernels taken from the middle of the ear. That's what up, it is? It ended up being the original basis for the medieval English inch which is defined for instructional purposes as a length of three medium-sized barley corns placed end-to-end, which ends up being about 2.54 centimeters, which I believe 2.2 is one inch, right? So they were damn close way, way back in the day. There you go. It's, it's uh, 65 thousandths of a gram or one seven thousandth of a pound. One of our camera guys was working on a side project, and it was about people trying to define what a kilo is Hmm. because just the importance of having it be standard because things that you like let's say you have the object and you're like this this is a kilo like this object will define what a kilo means that thing sheds molecules so it was getting lighter so it's, it's a big like problem. Like what? Mm. Like how do we decide? Mm. Like what is a kilo? Mm. Or how do we decide? Like what exactly is a second? You ever look up numbers in the dictionary? No, I don't have that much time. The definition will always <laughs> tell you. No, the definition will always tell you what precedes it and what comes after. Really? It. Yeah. Two. Well, it's after one and before three. <laughs> that's true. How does that? That's crazy. Yeah. It's good. Uh, the definition of for water. It's uh, one of the beauties of the definition for water is it acts as an almost universal solvent. It's good stuff, man. You guys are glad you made the trip now, huh? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you're flying home, you'll be thinking about that. (laughs) Right. You shouldn't. You should think about where you're going and and whether you're flying at at the right elevation. High and slow. Okay. Yeah. We're going to wrap it up. Thank you very, very much for coming up. Yeah, thank you. Great. It's not as much as if you had driven because you flew in a plane, but it's still, you risked life and limb to be here to be here yeah. it's so, great so worth it thanks guys yeah thank you very much yeah Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, 
for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.